This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gents. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for a Thursday afternoon here in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. Great to have you all with us on YouTube and, of course, everybody listening on the podcast. You know, I was thinking earlier today, we sometimes get a little too preoccupied with our YouTube crowd, which we do greatly appreciate and the fun everyone has in chat. Uh, but the backbone of this operation is everyone that's downloading the podcast and listening on their way home or in the evening. And we really do appreciate that. For podcast folks that want to help out any opportunity you can to uh, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a little review certainly goes a long way to help spread the uh, the um, the WST out on the podcast universe as well as on Spotify as well. So thanks to everyone with us. Welcome to everybody that's with us live on YouTube today. And a big shout out to our wonderful family of sponsors, including Canadian Club Whiskey, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Paramount Services Limited, Not Autocorp, Boston Pizza, our friends at Little Brown Jug Brewing, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend Country Club, and of course, our betting partner at Cool Bet Canada. This is going to be a fun show today. Uh, it's been a little while since we had Mike McIntyre on the program. Mike had that um, heart-wrenching piece on Josh Morrissey, the passing of his father. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Mike also had a piece on what the CFL needs to do to step up to, you know, hopefully move more of their players forward towards getting vaccinated to uh, make things, uh, give them the best chance of actually finishing the games that are scheduled and playing as going forward. So we'll get to all of that as well as some Jets offseason talk with Mike a little bit later on. And uh, it's always fun welcoming Rod Peterson into the program. We'll uh, head a province over and welcome in Hot Rod coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, we'll get the lay of the land out with the 3-0 Riders. We'll also get Rod's take on what's happening with the Elks and just how nervous people are in CFL front offices right now uh, with the postponement of the game that was supposed to kick off. Week four in the Canadian Football League tonight between the Edmonton Elks and the Toronto Argonauts. And could the Labor Day Classic between the Elks and the Calgary Stampeders be in jeopardy? Uh, we'll hit all of that. We'll also talk maybe a little bit of NFL with Rod coming up a little bit later on. Uh, let's get Michael Remus in here to get things going. Remo, what is, uh, what's up? How are you doing today, my friend? Hus, I'm feeling great. Looking forward to the weekend. Counting down. A little disappointed. We don't have uh, CFL Week Four kicking off today, but it gives, just gives me an extra day to set my lineups. That just gives me one more day to make sure uh, everything is good. So, uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's about. It. And we did actually have some feeling good. We had some NHL news. We've been like dying with no NHL news, like nothing. The biggest story was. Um, Val Filipula signing in Switzerland, <laughs> and we actually had some NHL signings today, some big contracts being handed out. So nice to know not all GMs are uh, you know taking you're taking the rest of the summer off here. Yeah, well, some some GMs already had their work done. Uh, some RFAs were a little tougher to get done, and of course, Sean Couturier, who was looking at a UFA situation, uh, got a big deal. We'll get to those in just a second. As I said, welcome to everybody in the YouTube chat. Oh, BA split. Yes, I am wearing the hat. No, this is not the dad hat. This is the snapback, as it were. I will uh, take it off for a moment. Hair's probably not too good, but snapback at the back. Great color coordination. I'll take care of that. New era, royal, and then uh, 
There it is. And I should give a little bit of an update. Um, shout out to Dallas, who went by today and picked up one of the last couple of hats that are there. I believe we've got two snaps left, and the dad hats are out. I'll be looking into the inventory. We may have the opportunity to get about another half dozen of each over to Royal Sports. Um, and then that's going to be about it. So, uh, yeah, the response to these has been great. We'll certainly be doing some more items coming up in the future. Uh, but working with New Era, uh, maybe even a toque coming up as things get colder uh, in and around. But, uh, yeah, Royal Sports is a couple of them. And in the meantime, you can certainly look us up at winnipegsports.com, click on the store, and check out what's available. And obviously everyone that's outside of the Winnipeg area that's not able to pop by Royal Sports Go to winnipegsportstalk.com and we will get you set up. Um, a lot of people saying the hat looks good. It really, uh, I, Remus and I had talked about this, I guess, on Monday when we let everyone know about them that, that, that they'd showed up. Um, you know, when you're doing something like this for the first time, we haven't done it before. I mean, you your fingers are crossed. And listen, we're working with guys at Royal Sports that have done this for well over 35 years in Winnipeg and working with the best in the business. And when it comes to hats, that is certainly new era. So we were confident they'd turn out great, but even still, um, the the way they turned out was beyond even our expectations and hopes. So um, big thanks to everyone that was involved in getting these ready. And uh, there still are a few out there for you if you haven't picked one up. Uh, we should give a shout out right away, Remo, to our old pal Taylor, who uh, is always with us in the chat. She hit us up with a shot of... Um, a little Winnipeg sports talk at our old workplace today because Taylor and our pal Ace Burpee were both rocking the new era Winnipeg sports talk lid. So um, that certainly made my day, and I know that came across your uh, your spot. It's always great to see friends jumping on and uh, and getting behind what we're doing here right now. So a special thank you to Taylor, one of the queens of the chat here on YouTube on a regular basis, and of course a man that is synonymous with the city of Winnipeg, the one, the only. Ace Burpee over at Virgin Hot 103. Yeah, there he is. Uh, Ace Burpee, Winnipeg legend and Taylor rocking the uh, the hats. They look great on them. So a uh, couple couple left. That's our uh, daily daily update. If you do want to reserve one, our uh, our website, I would say do that or wait till they get in stock. And Royal will probably drop a couple off. But uh, flying off the shelves, very exciting stuff. Uh, pretty awesome. Uh, okay, a uh, couple things before we get to these signings. Oh, and Wayne Jones is here. Wayne, what's going on? We were actually just talking about Wayne before we went off because, of course, we're looking at these Olympic qualifying games that are taking place in Norway. And Wayne, Remus was wondering if uh, you'd be here today or if maybe you were out watching some of the action that was taking place. And, of course, Wayne popped in. Ehlers is a real superstar in Denmark. can tell you what, he's a real superstar here in Winnipeg as well. Uh, but a big win for Ehlers and the Danes downing Andrzej Kopitar and Slovenia in a game that uh, Ehlers scored the opener and added another in the second period, which I believe on a 4-3 game would have been the winning goal as well. Um, saw a couple highlights out on the net right now, and I can tell you, Nikolai Ehlers is still Nikolai Ehlers. Blazing speed, a great shot, and a nose for the net, and two big goals for the Danes in a big, big win overcoming a late Slovakia rally. Yeah, Slovenia, Slovenia. Has, oh yeah, Slovenia. Uh, Sorry, I, I thought I saw so I saw slow the um. I think Slovakia's ac or short name is SVK in Slovenia as right. SLO. Uh, someone you know give Elliot Friedman uh, the CC. 
oh, on that because uh, his his. <laughs> Let's not talk about Elliot Friedman's abbreviation. His abbreviation. I know he's like trolling everyone now, but the fact that he uses Winnipeg as W I N, um, <laughs> and Calgary as C A L. That's it's not the official designated broadcast uh, abbreviations. But yeah, Anzi Kobodar has been a mainstay at these qualification tournaments. You know, dragging Slovenia. And I was looking at the rosters. Denmark, they've got a really good squad. They have some former NHLers and current NHLers. Uh, Michael Bodker uh, was on there. Uh, Ehlers, Franz Nielsen. Um, I'm trying to think uh, who else, but yeah, the 4 3. Uh, and of course, how can you forget? Uh, of course, Ehlers is playing the coach, it's his dad. Uh, what, Hans, Heinz Ehlers? Heinz, Heinz. Heinz Ehlers, so there it is. So Ehlers had, had a couple goals. Oh, yeah, Oliver Bjorkstrand is on Denmark. So I think Denmark, um, they got, as far as NHLers go, they lead. So it's kind of nice to have a little uh, Winnipeg Jet playing in August 26. You hope he can just make it out healthy and put out uh, and put up some big Gs. So, uh, and he did, he did today. It was great for him. Well, you know, Denmark is going to go as far as a player like Nikolai Ehlers takes him. And he's far from the only one. Um, certainly the host Norwegians are going to be in. And to, to be honest, on paper, I mean, when you look at these other teams that are in the tournament, Slovenia with a player like Kopitar, who's always there for his country, um, you know, would seem to be a, uh, you know, maybe one of the top teams in this tournament. So a big, big win for the Danes. And mm-hmm. like part of me, let's assume for a minute, and it's this, Far from reality that we can make this assumption, but that the NHL schedule goes off as planned and NHL players participate in the Olympics. Um, I realize a player like Nikolai Ehlers, if Denmark was to qualify, will be, I mean, he'll be playing a ton. Um, You know, they're probably from a team perspective from the Jets, there might be some benefits on not having Denmark make it and giving Nikolai Ehlers some time off and being nice and fresh when they come back for that second part of the year. But I think most Jet fans would agree that, you know, considering how much Nikolai loves playing for his country, their spot in the, you know, uh, hierarchy of international hockey worldwide if Ehlers was be, was able to take his team over the top and qualify for the Olympics, it would be such an amazing thing for he, his father, his country, that I think everyone would get behind them. And uh, I have a feeling, I mean, there's a lot of great players on the Jets that might end up playing. I mean, a guy like Connor Hellebuck, for instance, on the United States. But as much as everyone loves Connor, playing for the United States and international hockey the way things are right now, um, yeah, probably people hope that he plays well, but maybe the team not as much. As far as Ehlers go, they would be the underdog darlings of the tournament, and I think they would be every Jet fan's second favorite team behind Team Canada if we're lucky enough to see a true best on best this year. Yeah, I guess we can only hope. But I, yeah, again, here's the the roster. I'll pull it up right now. Uh, here it is. We got, uh, yeah, a couple NHLs. Alexander True, Ehler's cousin, is on the team. And Huss, I actually just pulled his rookie materials card out of a, uh, out of a, what, Series 2 box set. And who else is it? Bjorkstrand, as I said. Philip Larson, former NHLer. Franz Nielsen, Michael Bodker, Peter Regan. I think he saw some NHL time as well. Andreas Lilia on the bench. So I love these tournaments. I love seeing the names and be like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. But Denmark's got some players and uh, I think they might come out of this and we'll see how many um, NHLs. Remember Sochi, the Jets had a number of uh, players in the Olympics. I think Wheeler, uh, Michael Frolik, Pavlik, 
Um, I'm trying to think. There might be one. I had the poster, Soaring in Sochi. Uh, I don't know if you recall that, Huss. Uh, it was a giveaway. <laughs> it was a giveaway at one of the games, and I framed it or got it, like, mounted. So, I, and I think, wonder if that, how much of a storyline that will be. I mean, if players go, someone's going, someone's getting hurt for sure and going to screw their team out of a playoff spot. Happens all the time. And some owner will be outraged. But, uh, hey, I think going to the Olympics, you, you got to go. It's, it's great. And I think we'll be cheering on Eelers for sure. If, you know, assuming they get there. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Just quickly on this tournament, and this has to be the first time we have ever opened up talking about international hockey and uh, Norway or Denmark. But, hey, Ehlers is one of our guys. Want to follow that. And, of course, he had a great game and a big win for his team. The host Norwegian, Wayne's team, they're up 3-1 in Korea right now um, to begin the tournament. Earlier today, France beat Hungary 5-3. And the Latvians, oh, the Latvians are up right now at this point still for nothing on the Italians. Uh, did see, I believe, Poland upset Belarus earlier today, which was, uh, I know Kulbet's got the lines for these games, and they were about were great, more than a 4-1 to underdog to win. So uh, shout out to the Poles with their big upset win over Belarus. But Remus, as you mentioned, two pretty big signings today in the National Hockey League. Eight-year deals for the same money. And what's interesting is that the two players are at somewhat different stages in their career. The first deal that we heard today was coming out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And Andre Svechnikov, the number two overall pick in the 2018 draft, has signed an eight-year deal with the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, it'll maybe be difficult to compare this one to the Couturier deal because of the amount of RFA years that were in the deal. Uh, He was just coming out of his ELC, but he signs the max and eight-year extension with the Carolina Hurricanes at $7.75 million per season. Uh, And then about 15 minutes later, the Flyers did the exact same deal, 7.75 for eight years with Sean Couturier. What's interesting in Sean Couturier is that he had seven more years in the National Hockey League. And for all the talk about the great value of Mark Shifley's contract over um, you know the last number of years since he signed his eight-year extension, Reem, the Couturier deal that he signed, which I believe was a six-year term uh, at less than $5 bucks a year, to me was one of, if not the best value contract in the league. Um, and much like Blake Wheeler, when Blake Wheeler got his deal, I think many people were realizing there was a bit of an acknowledgement that, you know, there was a bit of back pay involved um, for the production that he did on the deal. It was making, what, 5.6. This is the same thing with the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, at this point, Couturier is 28 years old. This deal will take him through this year and eight more seasons. So we're talking about the 37. Whether he'll be able to produce at the level that he has through the majority of his career remains to be seen. Uh, you know, he was a guy that never scored above 15 goals until the 17-18 season, uh, but then went back-to-back with 30-goal seasons, 31 and 33, 76 points. Uh, but on top of what he does offensively, Remus, this guy is one of the best two-way centers in the game. Face-off, defensive play, tough matchups. Um, Philly needed to keep him there, but I'll tell you what, the eight-year term on the extension... Um, you know, hey, it could be problematic at some point, but this is a guy that definitely has earned his raise. And uh, if you want to say that maybe he's getting a little bit too much per year, you can look back that the Flyers maybe owed him a little after how well he'd performed and outperformed his previous contract. Yeah, and I agree with everything that you're saying, Hus. Uh, you know, he's 28 years old. You know, maybe the last couple of years, 
Um, the the cap hit may be a bit of an overpay, but I mean, he, he was making 4.3 uh, cap hit for the last six years. And I could argue, you know, the last, you know, three or four of those, I mean, he's been one of the top, uh, you know, top defensive centers in the league and, and the points have really come on. So yeah, 28 years old. I think the first, you know, the first half, I think this is pretty solid. You know, maybe it goes down a bit, but I think overall the solid value. I think the the Svechnikov one seems to be real value to me, especially the way you see uh, these young players getting paid. 21 years old, you're getting a, what is it? Sorry, eight-year eight year deal. And you're getting him from the, you know, 21 to, you know, 29. Very prime of the career, 7.75. I think that, you know, you look at his numbers last year, uh, he had... What do you have? 42 points in 55 games. I think he had like 60 in the year before, 61 and 68 the year before. So, I mean, he's, you know, pedigree of a top pick. Lock him up. I, I like that that deal for him um, and for the team as well. And I saw some Vancouver fans being like, okay, now what does this mean uh, for Elias Pedersen, who had better numbers uh, than Shvechnikov? Is he, you know, going to touch uh, the 10 million range here? So, that's uh, so interesting. You know, you will see these contracts for a young guy like that who's RF, you know, coming in RFA and definitely sets the market for other, you know, young players. And I think, you know, players becoming very strong earlier. I think the RFA artificially, you know, pushes them down, but they're trying to get paid, paid early. So, you know, two, two, it's so funny, two contracts that are the same but very different based on the ages of the players. Well, it, exactly. Service time, the amount of UFA years that were mm. bought were, were different, but the number is exactly the same for Couture and Svechnikov. Um, and I'll give Carolina credit. I mean, they are a team that is, I don't want to say they're tight with the wallet, but um, they let Dougie Hamilton go. They let Ned go because they didn't want to pay him. But I think they realized that Svechnikov, hey, they spent a number two overall pick on the young man. He has had a great three seasons in the National Hockey League. 20 goals as a rookie, 24 and 68 in the 1920 season, and then 15 goals and 42 points in 55 games last year. I mean, this young man is just scratching the surface right now. So um, definitely good news. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I got into a lot of flyers. We'll have to, we'll have to get Ruwicki's take on this at some point in the next week. Um, I think everyone realizes, and Mitch just said, you know, with his skating and with his age, you know, the back end of that contract could be problematic, but he is such an important player. And as I said, I mean, I really think that he's earned this contract and it looks like if he does fulfill his time with this deal extension in Philly, he'll be a player that, you know, will play well over a thousand games all for one team, which uh, which is pretty cool as well. And, uh, and of course, every time we mention Kachuri and Remus, people will go back to 10 years ago in the 2011 draft and <laughs> the old shifley Kachuri comparisons. Um, two centers, two very good players, two number one guys for their teams, different players, but their timing of being in that 2011 class um, led to maybe them signing two of the most bargain contracts in the in the league with the inflation that took place and continues to take place despite the salary cap being flat right now uh and you know the argument will be made as to you know whether this is a, a poor value contract but both Shifley and Kachuri has been a lot of fun conversations about what they do well and maybe don't do as well and what they bring to their hockey clubs but uh, I think both Winnipeg and Philadelphia are very happy with their selections from 10 years ago as both of those players are still starring for their respective franchises yeah it's kind of funny I'm looking at the uh, uh the 
what's it called the you know draft results here from Hockey DB. Mark Shafley has the most points of any player picked in that draft. Uh, what he's got five hundred and seven points in five hundred seventy five games. Uh, and you, you know you have some great players there in the first round. Nuge went first. Lattiscog, Huberto, Adam Larson. Uh, he's you know kind of bounced back from the one for one and become a solid. He's a solid, uh, you know, defend, defender now on Seattle. Ryan Strom, Zabinajad, Shafley, Couturier, Dougie Hamilton. I mean, the first nine picks, ten picks, Jonas Brodin, all solid NHLers. Mm-hmm. Um, the lowest games played of any of those is Ryan Strom with 547. So uh, if you had to pick, you know, the first 17 picks, all, you know, pretty solid, uh, solid players. But the top ten, you got a very solid NHL, at least an NHL regular borderline, uh, and some stars in there, and Shifley and Zabinajad. I mean, Hamilton just got paid. So what a what a draft that 2011 draft in and Minnesota. And uh, I was there, and I remember you know being surprised when the Jets picked Shifley over Couturier, and seemed like a lot of people were. And did Jets, you got? Let's be yeah. honest, you were yeah. there. Did you even know who Shifley no, was when he no, was selected? No, of course not. No, <laughs> but I remember he came over and he put on the uh, put on the jersey, the NHL jersey, and um, yeah, now he's look, he's a top point getter of any player picked. Oh, sorry, sorry, Landeskog has got got a couple more points. So sorry, highest uh, points per game, maybe I don't know. Landeskog's played like six eighty seven games, he's got five twelve points. Shifley's got five oh seven. And 575. So I, I guess I misspoke there. Well, and, and Waiters 27. I'll be honest, I want a Couturier. I mean, I think a ton of fans were in that spot because, I mean, Sean Couturier at the midway point of that year was the number one overall prospect. And I won't really speak to why he dropped the way that he did. I don't really know. Um, but I do remember that was the one draft we weren't at. And Gary Lawless and myself have, were doing something with Aikens Lake. And we were actually already booked to be at Aikens during that weekend so we were on the water all day came back and went to the office and got the internet and figured out okay who the heck is this guy and obviously it was very cool to see the announcement of the team being called the winnipeg jets as well so hey sir i really i really misspoke kucherov was selected in the second round of that draft thanks to rain man so he strafely is like still up there with points but yeah behind kucherov and landeskog my my bad my bad kucherov the cooch pick uh you don't expect to go down into the second or third round and seeing guys that are outscoring all the first round picks that just i mean that's a big reason why we're talking about the tampa bay lightning as back to back Stanley Cup champions. Um, I'm sure we'll touch a little hockey coming up with Rod Peterson. We'll also get to football and uh, everything else going on around the Canadian Football League. And as I mentioned, we will do some uh, specific Jets talk, Josh Morrissey, Nikolai Ehlers, and more with Mike McIntyre coming up in just a few minutes. Before we bring on Hot Rods in Regina, a uh, big shout out to our newest sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, the Beam Suntory team, along with Jim Beam. And Salsa Tequila and Northern Keep Vodka, they're all there anywhere you're looking for a cocktail at IG Field. Uh, they are there for you. Of course, they got the Jim Beam Stillhouse and the Brugal Rum Hut. Uh, but we are, well, we've got the good stuff with us here on, uh, on Winnipeg Sports Talk. We will do a special CC Bomber Home Game giveaway tomorrow on the program. So make sure you join us on YouTube. And for Banjo Bowl Week, We'll be doing a social media contest. We have an unbelievable prize from our friends at CC uh, from Canadian Club. So you're definitely going to want to be that. Again, uh, you can get the great taste of Canadian Club, but uh, pretty much any 
bar or restaurant around the city, and of course, at your local liquor marts as well. Um, shout out to Royal Sports. I am rocking the Royal. This shirt, this goes back, my God, I don't know, two decades. I can't believe it still fits. Um, but they've got much more better stuff at Royal right now, including the new New Era Winnipeg Sports Talk lids. A few uh, still there. We'll try and get a few more there afterwards, probably another half dozen of each. And then when they're gone, they are gone. Thanks to everyone that's picked up one already. And while you're there, you can check out all the great Jets merchandise, maybe a new jersey with one of the new players for the upcoming season, some bomber gear for the game on Sunday. Bikes, camping equipment, hockey superstore. They've got it all at Royal Sports and are a proud partner of ours since day one here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. 650 Rally and EK and the hats over at the superstore, 750 Pemina Highway. And as I mentioned last week, I'll do it again right now. If you've got a hockey player in the family or are uh, someone with a great hockey background that's looking for some work, um, they definitely are adding to the staff as they get ready for a... Uh, on just an onslaught of business when it comes to hockey and hockey equipment in particular. So uh, you can go to their web Instagram page, Royal Sports Pemina, uh, get more information or pop down with the resume. Talk to Greg or Gerald or who's ever there right now and uh, try and get on board with the Royal Sports team. Great place to work, great people, and great sponsors of ours. And of course, I'm not sure if Nick's in here yet, but uh, a big shout out to our friend Nick and Nikki and the Nick and Nikki DQ group. Four locations here in Southern Manitoba, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, both with drive throughs as well as the DQ at Polo Park and the DQ on St. Anne's. Whether you're going for one of those amazing Ultimate Grill Burgers, uh, maybe the Honey Barbecue Chicken Fingers, or the uh, the Staples, Blizzards, Sundays, Cones, Take Home, it's all there for you at one of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. And again, be a hero for the next little gathering you're going to as long as we can have them, uh, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. You can order your cake in advance and just pop by any of the four spots, pick it up fast and easy, and uh, it'll be all good. Big thanks to Nick and Nikki for their support. One of the founding fathers of our sponsorship team to get us going here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right, lots to get to with our next guest who just finished his Rod Peterson show. You can always catch that really leading into Winnipeg Sports Talk. I often catch it on the Game Plus Network on television. You can hit it up on Facebook. You can hit it up on YouTube. And as soon as Rod is done, we are going live at 1 o'clock Central here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And the host of the Rod Peterson show, Rod himself, joins us now. Rod, what's going on? How are you doing, my friend? Hey, really good. Good to hear you, buddy. Good to see you. You too. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to talk some hockey with you and maybe get into some NFL, but let's start off with the Canadian Football League. First things first, what's going on in Regina right now? Um, one of only two teams right now that has not made official rules um, for vaccinated fans only. Mm. Uh, it's been a very hot button topic, both players being vaccinated as well as fans. Um, and I would imagine that the fact that they did not do that has probably put them in a bit of a tough situation and maybe is left to a few more empty seats since uh, the sellout of the opening game. Um, give us a bit of a synopsis of where things are at right now with the riders, with their fans, and with the stadium, with a lot of Bomber fans 
making plans to come there for the Labor Day Classic. Roddy, I think we got you back there. Uh, fill us in on the 411. What's happening with the riders, their stadium, the and fans in the building, and proof of vaccination? Yeah, I, re- I really apologize, buddy. My phone's going off like crazy here. One of them is Kevin Chevaldeoff's brother, Ken. <laughs> Story for another time. SAS Party MLA here. So anyway, I thought you wanted to talk about the on-field stuff for the Rough Riders, which I know we'll get to. But as far as the off-field, they're just getting hammered by the majority of the people that I talk to and what I'm seeing online that they will not follow the bombers lead and the, you know, the seven teams in total in the CFL that are requiring proof of vaccination. And what I'm hearing, Andrew, the most is they've sold 22, 23,000 season tickets. Not all of those people are vaccinated. They don't want to give the money back. They want those people that bought season tickets to be able to go to the games. Now, my opinion Wade Miller obviously thought about that when the province of Manitoba and the Blue Bombers made their, they were the first team to say that you have to have proof of vaccination. He didn't care. But in Saskatchewan, the Rough Riders clearly are saying they don't want to anger the season ticket holders that are non-vaccinated. Does that make sense? That's what I'm hearing. The only thing the team has said is that they are not going to reverse their policy of not forcing proof of vaccination. Doesn't seem like that's going to change, but it's just the pressure keeps mounting. You know how the pressure can be, Andrew. And I just keep hearing, oh, within a day, they're going to reverse their policy. And they haven't. Yeah, well, and and it's been very interesting to see. I mean, I firmly believe that, you know, that 22 or 23,000 number, there's probably three or four or 5,000 people, especially people with kids that would normally their number one priority would be going to games. But, you know, as long as you have the situation that's currently in Regina, that they can't guarantee that they're not going to be around people that are unvaccinated and potentially positive, that they're not going to put themselves in that situation. And, you know, I'll give the Bombers credit. I mean, I think they realize it's uh, not a perfect situation. I mean, like any decision you make, there's people on one side or the other that are bent out of the shape and are mad and are threatened they'll never go there again. But I I certainly think from what I've seen in Winnipeg, Far more people, I think they're benefiting more from the decision than losing fans that are mad because they didn't get the vaccine. And maybe the numbers are better here in Manitoba than Saskatchewan. I'm not entirely sure. But I don't think the people are that different, Rod. And Hmm. I would, the first thing I heard of when we heard about game number two and the fact that this was the lowest attendance in, in Mosaic Stadium history was the fact that they had a full house and there was a publicized outbreak in the pill zone. I mean, like, I don't have any kids and I'm not really freaking out. I'm not one of these people that lives my life in fear because of it. But I mean, I've done what I had to do. I got the vaccine. But I mean, even myself, if I had kids or a niece and nephew that weren't able to be vaccinated, I'm not bringing them to an area that I have no idea who's there and whether they've taken the shot yet. Okay, Andrew, the fact that you said... Sorry, I'm getting an echo in my ear here. The fact that you said the, the home opener was sold out, which it was, and the Labor Day Classic is sold out, tells me that people aren't afraid to go to Ryder games. The fact that the last two games have been far from a sellout is because they're going to have four home games over a period of five weekends. It's too many games in a short amount of time at home. They can't afford to go. And with regarding the kids... I don't know. I don't feel like there's that not that many kids that go to the games anyways. So I, did, I don't think people here are afraid of the virus at all. I think it's just been too expensive to go to all these games. But as I've said on my show a few times this week, I've been to more bomber games than rider games this summer. And going into the stadium at IG Field was lickety split. You've obviously done the same thing. I went as yeah. a fan. I got my tickets from the bombers. I showed my card at the gate, showed my photo ID, and in I went. 
And the security guard, by the way, you know it was Tony from the Canada Life Center who was working that same morning, then was working that night at IG Field. He knew me. So I'm just saying, hey, how hard of a decision is it, Rough Riders? And that's not me. You know, I'm not criticizing the Rough Riders. You do whatever you want. I'm just shocked that we're this late into the, this, the game and the Riders won't change the policy normal Edmonton. And I guess if you're asking the reason, it's because they don't want to anger their season ticket holders that aren't vaccinated. Fair? Uh, that, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I, I guess. And maybe that's more of an issue in Saskatchewan than it is in Manitoba. And, you know, there's obviously always, uh, you know, differences. Although when I think of the prairies, I think of this entire area is relatively similar as much as we give each other brain damage for a couple weeks around September when our football teams are playing against each other. Um, where's the government sit in this? But I, I will say this. I give full credit to the Bombers. They got out ahead of it. They made the decision and they went through it. I do think that they were also seeing the writing on the wall that if they didn't do that, I think the best case scenario for them, considering the rules in this province, would have been 50% attendance, and that wasn't going to cut it. So, I mean, I think, you know, and the same thing with the Winnipeg Jets. Like, I mean, the Jets went ahead and said, hey, you know, you got to be vaccinated to go there. I mean, I think first and foremost that if they didn't do that, I don't think there was any chance they were even going to maybe be able to get to half capacity. So it's also a bit of a business decision. Um, But is the pressure mounting as numbers go up and we hear about this fourth wave coming for the government to step in and do what a lot of people think the riders should do themselves? I'd like to think the Rough Riders can make the decision themselves. Everything I heard was that the province of Manitoba and the Blue Bombers came up with that decision themselves and the Bombers announced it. Look, that's why yeah. I'm so impressed with Wade. And I saw him on the concourse at IG Field. And you know Wade better than I do. The guy, he's a leader. Right? Like, you're going to tick somebody off either way. So he made a decision. Now, the premier here in this province announced way back a full stadium by this summer, and he was right. He he guaranteed it. But I'd like to think that they're not waiting for the Premier to make an announcement on that when the Flames, the Stamps, the Canucks, all the Quebec pro teams of all, and MLSE, have all said we require proof of vaccination. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are more important that because of their season ticket holders and taking them off, they're, they're going to go against this? That's what surprises me a little bit. But, I mean, I haven't gone to a game. I don't plan to go to a game here at home. Uh, I felt very safe at IG Field that night. And by the way, I assume you were there, Hustler. Everybody was having a great time. It was a party, and it was a safe party. But on the flip side, just this morning, some guy wrote into my show and said, nine COVID cases at the last Ryder game out of 23,000 people is a pretty good number. And he's right, right? That's the other side. It's a minuscule percentage of the population that left that stadium that got infected. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. I mean, I, I guess the counter to that is, is that, you know, those are the people that were tested and that were identified from that. I mean, unfortunately, with this thing, there's a lot of people that might not know they have it that can then spread it to other people. And I think that comes back to how we got here in the first place. Um, All right. As far we'll get back to the riders and the on-field stuff in the middle. What are you hearing about the elk situation? How is this resonating around the league right now? And I was listening to your show earlier on. I mean, is the, we know the game tonight's not happening. How concerned are people in the Canadian Football League that one of the that the most important weekend of the regular season could be affected by what's happening with the Elks? I think they're extremely upset. And I had Dave Naylor on my show on Monday, I guess, when this news broke, and he said it's calamity in the CFL head office because I think Andrew, the CFL expected more players would get vaccinated. That's what I think. I, I think they are surprised at the amount of backlash and resistance from players. And here on Saturday, when Ottawa was in town, 
I talked to players face-to-face from both teams, hugged them, fist-pounded them. And I was like, how is this happening? How are you leaving the bubble? But they were all vaccinated. And, I mean, you and I aren't doctors, and I'm honestly sick of talking about it. But even if you're vaccinated, I guess you can still spread the virus, right? So I, for, for those players, it's in the double digits with the Elks, with the outbreak. I don't know whether they were vaccinated or not. Sir Vincent Rogers, their star left tackle, vaccinated, tested positive a couple of weeks ago, right? So I don't know what's happening, Emmett. I think there's a lot of fear because I'm, I've been hearing of teams that have had what should I say, breaking COVID protocols. And it kind of ticks me off because I know of some people that are taking it very, very seriously in the CFL. I guess my answer to your question, Andrew, is that I'm stunned that it took till week four for this to happen because I saw it coming far earlier than this. And I don't think they're going to make this game up. Is there any way that you think they could make up in this schedule, Edmonton, Toronto? I don't see where they would in a shortened 14-game season. It's so hard. I mean, when you look at the rest of the schedule and where they would have to plug the game in and what that would do to the schedule of the two teams involved or potentially moving some other games. Um, And I'll tell you what, if I'm a team like the Bombers, and I believe Mike O'Shea said on OB earlier uh, earlier this week that... I mean, they'll be at the 85%, I mean, almost right away and should be up to 100% when we get to the Labor Day Classic or the Banjo Bowl. Um, And it sort of reminds me what's happening in the NFL. The Chiefs are pretty much 100% vaccinated. And then you look at what's happening in Buffalo with another great football team. And they're dealing with Isaiah Simmons and Cole Beasley and a number of players not being in there. And I mean, the teams that have their leaders leading the way that you need have kind of seemingly come together, realized what their greater goal is and their purposes, and have done what they had to do. Um, but I mean, if I'm at the Bombers and I'm doing everything right, I don't want to all of a sudden be dealt a hand where I'm playing on a short week or my schedule's changing to accommodate a team like Edmonton that doesn't have their stuff together. They didn't have it together then, and they don't have it now. I couldn't agree more with you. And that's why I think at the end of this, Toronto's going to be awarded with the win and away we go. But just, you know, we go back and forth between sports. Uh, Andrew, I was talking to a referee here this week who's worked, lived in both Winnipeg and obviously lives here now. He's in his 20s, high level referee, not vaccinated. And I said, why are you not? I said, do whatever you want, but why aren't you? And he goes, well, I'm in my 20s. I'm obviously healthy. I was talking to him in the gym. He goes, if I get coronavirus, I don't think that I'm going to die. And I'm like, I'm not going to impose my will on him or what I think. It's just the leagues are mandating now that you need to be vaccinated, hockey leagues, in order to, to work in them or play in them. I don't know how the CFL wasn't able to or hasn't been able to do that. But again, this kind of comes back to me. I think we're all surprised at the amount of people that don't want to get the shot. <laughs> Like, I didn't think I was going to die if I got it either, but I did it for the good of everybody else to get back to normal. I, I'm stunned Well, how many people aren't. I, I, I am with you, and I mean the same thing. You think I was, you know, freaking out or wanted to go get it? I, I mean, to me, it was the path for us getting back to normal, and it still remains that way. And listen, I don't know this individual, and I don't want to put anybody off, but that sort of thing from healthy people, that they're either terrible at reading the room and the situation, or... They're just incredibly selfish and honestly don't give a damn about anybody else. And unfortunately, they'll be the ones that suffer and, and are doing it right now, Ron. I mean, I mean, we know what the rules are coming in in a lot of a, a lot of industries on, you know what, you either need to be vaccinated or you have to show positive tests. I mean, certainly here, I mean, we've been, I think, ahead of the game when it comes to that and people are sort of used to it and people get it for the most part. And 
Um, but it, it, it's unbelievable. And I mean, that's, that's a referee. When you think about the money that's at stake at these leagues, the season, I mean, if, if a game check is lost by a team, how is that going to resonate amongst just in the dressing room, never mind the organization? And I mean, you want to talk about splitting a room? You had, say you had 70% of the Elks who are doing what they're supposed to do going there, and you have this group that's not. That's the reason that they're now not playing and they're not getting paid, taking money and food out of their family's mouths. Uh, I mean, to me, that situation only gets worse if it doesn't get rectified right away. Well, and I don't know if, I'm sure you noticed that the Edmonton president, Chris Presson, who I think's you know, a decent guy, they wouldn't say what their percentage of vaccination was, right? You had to get to 85% to not lose the game check. I'm thinking if you don't want to tell us what it is, you're not at 85%, right? <laughs> that would be my guess. And, uh, and the other thing is, one thing I've learned through this, and I've known it for years as a recovery coach in mental health and addictions, is you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. You can't. And there's people digging their heels in on this shot. It's all about stubbornness now. I believe it's you're not going to make me do anything that I don't want to do. And it is very unfortunate. I didn't see this coming. I don't think the health leader saw it coming, but I go back to what Wade did. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. That's leadership standing up and saying, this is what we're doing, whether you like it or not. And they stuck to it. And again, you've been at those games. They've been awesome at IG field. Now I haven't been to mosaic stadium. I hear that they've been great, but here they're going doing the opposite thing because they don't want to upset their season ticket holders. And by the way, that's their right too, you know, but Holy smokes. Are they getting married for it? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we all see the way things are going and, and the thing that really sucks the most about this, and I don't know how it happened. And it, it, it's the one thing of this entire ordeal we've been through that pisses me off the most and surprises me the most in reality is how, so much of this has become political. Like, at what point can we not, can we start a common sense party here in this country? And frankly, in the United States as well. And, you know, we're not doing things because one guy, like, how about listen to the people that know what the hell they're talking about and not the amateur epidemiologists on Facebook? Uh, <laughs> I, I think we'd all, I think we'd all be in a much better spot. But anyways, God knows we've all talked too much about this, but I mean, it is a serious issue right now for the Canadian Football League. There's no game tonight. TSN is going to be dark. They'll be playing, God knows, another top 50 catches of the uh, yeah. of the year five times in a row because we don't have a CFL game on right now. And there's repercussions for that. And it could be felt in the pocketbooks of the players um, and certainly in the league. And if this doesn't get nipped in the bud right now, Rod, I can't imagine. I mean, it's bad enough you're losing a, a, a Thursday night game. It's early in the season. And we are somewhat desensitized to, oh, well, this is off. This is yeah. being postponed. I mean, that's happened over the over the last little while. But my God, if the Labor Day game does not happen between the Elks and Stampeders, um, and you're talking about missing two games, I mean, at, at that point, how worried does one get? I mean, if I'm Randy Ambrosi right now, I think you referred to it as a white knuckle ride right now. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly, that is exactly what it seems to be because... Um, if this doesn't get taken care of, and as Farhan said yesterday, if the league isn't able to step up and do what they can do to encourage more players to get with the program, um, the the health of the league and the 2021 season could all be in jeopardy because of, you know, some people that, you know, decide that uh, they know more than uh, some people that frankly are paid a lot of money to make the right decisions in all of our best interests. 
Well, there's a lot of questions that we don't know. Just on that, I've had people saying to me, how did these American players get into the country if they weren't vaccinated in the first place to play? They had the quarantine period lowered from 14 days to seven, as you recall. Yeah. Right. I just I don't understand. And the prime minister this morning tweeted, please go get vaccinated. And I went in and saw them, looked at the mentions, which I shouldn't have done. <laughs> people were writing in all caps. Never. That's why I go back to this is just stubbornness. So I'm surprised they got to week four, given the amount of players that I knew that weren't vaccinated. Andrew, I've talked to a lot of them. And there was no real good reason. And that's why I, I, you can't blame the Canadian Football League either. I just don't think they saw this coming, right? They were pounding a square peg into a round hole to play. And I applauded them for that. God knows I was hard enough on them. And I think you were too for not playing if we'd no. gone two years. Like they, 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 the league isn't at fault here at all. Well, no, they they aren't, and you know, some would say maybe not having that um, that restriction or rule bringing players that weren't that weren't intending on doing it. Maybe I mean, there's lots of players out there. I mean, there's lots of guys out there that would be looking for making a paycheck in pro football. Now, you know, you're losing major important pieces of your team, and I think we're seeing that in the NFL right now as well. Um, you know, you can't just replace that level of talent, and that's why these guys are here, and that's why they have their deals, but. I mean, can you imagine a team signing a free agent right now that's not vaccinated? I can't. Oh, God. Well, only out of necessity. <laughs> and and I want you, hey, when the Rough Riders had those four Achilles tendons pop within six minutes before training camp, you think they weren't thinking about how we're going to get guys into the country? <laughs> that's that's a whole other side of what, like, I, the CFL, I think, for the first few weeks really wanted to purport that everything was fine. The games looked great on TV, didn't they? I thought the attendance was was. Decent enough. I think there was way more people going to games than I thought there would be. And then this hits. I knew that it wasn't all well behind the scenes because in the NFL, unending supply of players, Andrew, there was never a, a, a yeah. worry for them last year to play. Here, there's not enough Canadians. There just isn't if there was an outbreak or injuries and and then getting Americans into the country. I let's Let's say this. This might be a good poll question. Are they finishing the season? Right well, now, I'm got, I got I got to wonder. Well, especially, I mean, I had tried not to subscribe to a lot of the doom and gloom that a lot of people, you know, because honestly, I mean, the people on the far right that are all going crazy anti-vax are, I mean, there's equal amount of people that are, well, maybe not an equal amount, but as annoying group on the far other side of things that, you know, have been complaining, oh, don't do the Olympics, don't have sports, you know, stay home. And, you know, I mean, I think the normal, rational people, though, for the most part, are in the middle realizing what do we have to do to get through this as well as possible and live with it, deal with it, and go forward. But to your point about the rest of the season, um, you know, there is, you know, some pretty dire predictions about what happens as we get into the fall and um, and you're exactly right. I mean, there is no guarantees right now that they'll be able to play. And, you know, a National Hockey League, like they've done before, some of the others, if things happen in certain markets and you had to cut the number of fans or play some games without fans for a period, they could get that done. There's a reason the CFL didn't play last year, Rod. They couldn't do it without asses in seats. Yep. And that's why they're playing this year. But the interesting thing is I had had football people that have worked both in the NFL and CFL. They said the CFL is exactly this year where the NFL was last year. And that's why we're seeing the outbreaks in certain things. Well, we're seeing it in the NFL too. Mike Vrabel, <laughs> coach of the Titans, right? And you mentioned the Cole Beasley thing. It's, this is not just a CFL issue. No. The problem is in those other leagues, 
there's infinite resources to sustain it in play. And the CFL doesn't have that. Honestly, man, I'm stunned they're playing now. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked they even got into a season this year. And that's why I've applauded them for it. And the games have been good. I mean, the Bombers, to not have the chance to defend the Grey Cup would be a shame. Um, very much looking forward to Sunday's game, by the way, against the Calgary Stampeders. It's the game of the week as voted by our viewers. And, uh, hey, let's just keep our fingers crossed. I'm with you. I don't want to be doom and gloom. It's just I kind of saw this coming, you know. Yeah, um, uh, obviously, uh, outside of all this other BS that we have to talk about, Ryder fans about the on-field product have to be pretty happy. What a start for Cody Fajardo this year, Rod. Well, it's typical around here. This is what I've heard. They're not running the ball enough. They're not doing this enough. The secondary is is giving up too many yards. Are they winning enough? Well, exactly. I'm (laughs) like, you know what? I'm not paid to listen to this crap anymore from people that that it's never enough. They're 3-0. They're the only team in the CFL. I don't know if you read the game notes. I do as much as I can. Did you know that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders have never been 3-0 at the same time ever in the history of the CFL? I was stunned when I heard that. Stunned. Would that surprise you or not? Uh, it does. I mean, this, this is a long league. I mean, these teams have been around for a while. Dude. <laughs> That's exactly what I, <laughs> I mean, thought. And the fact of the matter is they always played later on in the season. So it's not like right. they were always playing in the first three weeks where no. one team had to lose. And as it That's actually out, stunning. Uh, and they blew out? it last week. We could uh, have potentially had two undefeated teams for the Labor Day game. I know. And that would have been a first, obviously, because they've never been 3-0 and at the same time. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. Just for, like you say, they've been around for decades and decades and decades. But that's still that back to back is still going to determine who's the best team in the CFL. I mean, riders run a bye week. They don't play again until the Labor Day Classic, man. So we're really going to find out in that game who's the best team. I just think the Bombers went up against maybe the best team in the CFL, the Toronto Argonauts. If Nick Arbuckle continues this, I think he's that good. And I think their defense is that good. I don't think the Bombers have anything to hang their head about. But you asked about the riders. Fajardo's player of the week in back-to-back weeks. There's no sophomore jinx for this guy. And I'm sure the Bombers would love to you know, do nothing more than knock his block off in the Labor Day Classic. So, man, our viewers are already asking to preview the game. I'm like, dude, <laughs> the Bombers still got Calgary in the way. So let's just chill till Monday at least. Hey, just quickly on Calgary before we go, um, uh, how about that start for Jake Meyer? I mean, the game overall was phenomenal. I mean, Montreal having the lead, blowing it, having that <laughs> exciting comeback at the end, the final play that just didn't get over the line. But for a rookie filling the huge shoes of Bo Levi Mitchell, that was uh, that was a pretty impressive CFL debut uh, for the young man that we'll see starting at IG Field Sunday night for the Stamps. Well, they're going against potentially <clears throat> the best defense in the CFL and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So uh, I, I'm sure Richie Hall will have something cooked up. Richie's faced a lot of rookies in his time as a defensive <laughs> coordinator, and I think they're licking their chops at this kid. But, hey, you can't – I don't know if you saw Naylor's numbers on TSN about the amount of rookies that have come in and had over 300 yards. There's like 14 or something. It's not as rare as you'd think. But that kid, he's got some stones. Shook off two first-quarter interceptions and came back to throw over 300 yards – um, huge. I don't think he's making anybody forget about Bo Levi Mitchell, but pretty positive story in a league that needs some positive stories right now. Well, no doubt. I mean, the fact they were 0-2 and facing six weeks weeks without BLM, I mean, wasn't a lot of people that were buying low on the Stampeders going into last week, let me say that. Mm-hmm. So uh, should be an interesting game on Sunday, and then, of course, we get ready for the real deal, 
back-to-back in Regina, in Winnipeg, between two of the best teams in the CFL. Rod, we will definitely have to hook up either before or in between those games. Uh, always love coming on with you, and we always love having you on with us here in the Peg on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Always a pleasure, buddy. Keep it going. Right on. There is the one, the only Rod Peterson at Rod Peterson. Of course, you can also follow the Rod Peterson show. You can catch that before Winnipeg Sports Talk every day on YouTube and Facebook or on the Game Plus Network. And then uh, as soon as Rod's done, head on over to YouTube and join us here. We're going to uh, chop it up with Mike McIntyre coming up right away. Big shout out to our friends at Paramount Services Limited for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Paramount Services Limited, a full facility maintenance company serving commercial HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and handyman services to all of your favorite convenience stores and restaurants in Western Canada, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and they've been doing it for just about three full decades. If you or your business need a one-stop shop for kitchen or cooler supplies, uh, for your business or property in Western Canada, give them a call. You can ask for my guy, Kerry O'Brien, great friend of the program, or visit their website at paramountservicesltd.com for more information. And they're also always looking for techs. Uh, if you've got some experience or are qualified and specialized in HVAC, plumbing, electrical, or handiwork, and go to your website, uh, go to their website and submit a resume today or click on the sponsor tag on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Click on Paramount Services. It'll take you right there as well. Um, big shout out to our friends at Not Auto Corp. Speaking of great supporters of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, looking forward to, I uh, took in the game with Trevor Knott and some of the Knott gang uh, for the uh, the Argos game. Looking forward to seeing him at the stadium on Sunday night for the Stamps game. But if you are looking for a vehicle for you and your family, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Knot team? Pop by and see the incredible facility over at Waverly and McGilvery, soon to be opening the brand new Car Lab as well, which is going to be really cool. Um, you can see everything on the lot or talk to them about reaching out and finding the vehicle that you're looking for. They'll also help consign your present vehicle and get you max value for that. Why not? Not all. Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery, or online at not.ca. And of course, summer continues. It's not too summery out right now. A little cooler than we've had, but the patios are still open, as are the dining rooms and bars at Boston Pizza. And the summer's here menu is here featuring the Burger Italiano, the Honey Dill Fried Chicken Sandwich, and some great drinks for the patio, or in the lounge, the White Sangria Smash, the Peachy Mojito Royale, or the Galaxy Fishbowl and the Bulldog Margarita Fishbowl. Pop by Boston Pizza tonight. Summer's here. Bring your appetite. Sunglasses are optional. All right, let's welcome back in Mike McIntyre from the Winnipeg Free Press, taking a break from pulling the Ken Weeb and essentially just becoming a pro golfer for the summer. Uh, Mike, how's the swing? I hear you sank an eagle putt at one of these tourneys you were there this week. I mean, uh, that must have been a highlight. It was. Uh, I'd like to say that I actually contributed to the first two shots leading up to the Eagle putt, but I did not. This was the best ball tournament, and my ball was far from best. Uh, but I did sink the Eagle putt. Uh, we actually went on quite a run yesterday, Huss. This was uh, the IBAM Dale Rempel tournament out at Pine Ridge and Elmhurst. We, we weren't very good the first 12 holes. We were four over par, which for those that have played at a best ball, that's that's not great. <laughs> Uh, but we went on an absolute heater to end the round, six under on our last six holes, uh, three or uh, four birdies, an eagle, and one par. So we finished the tournament in the red at two under. 
And uh, yeah, I got to sink the, uh, the, the Eagle putt, you know, I, they have all these little contests, right? Like in between holes and stuff. So I actually found that I'm a lot better at other things on a golf course. Uh, I hit a, I hit a jumbo marshmallow off a tee really well. Uh, I was able to, to nearly chip into a toilet uh, as part of another contest. And actually the best putt I sunk all week was back on Tuesday at, um, uh, at another charity event we were in. This is the Blake Wheeler tournament actually out at, at Bridges. I, I sunk a 15 footer using a, uh, a composite hockey stick. Uh, and so maybe I should make an adjustment on the greens because I seem to putt better than a stick as opposed to a, an actual putter. Yeah, I can't wait to see you rolling around pulling out a Sherwood on the eighth hole at Kingswood in your next round or over at Kildonan and go, what's that guy doing? Well, he, <laughs> he picked up the technique at uh, the IBAM Dale Rempel tournament, and he, he's never gone back after that. Um, Mike, let's, uh, you, you know, first off, we, uh, you know, it's great to have you back on the program, and it's been sort of a slow time for Jets news over the last couple of weeks. It's been a great time to spend some time on the golf course because we know how exciting and things are and busy things are going to get as we get into um into the week and i'm sure most people have read um your piece with josh morrissey on the passing of his father if people haven't they certainly should do that um i just wanted to talk a little bit about that with you first off because you know josh morrissey and this is what pro sports is about uh all we do is see what's happening with the player on the ice and uh, you know, God knows we've had a lot of conversations about who Josh Morrissey's playing with and, you know, right. what's his level of game at? You know, what does he need to do to, to be better? Um, you know, many of us, you know, had the same conversation after Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon were acquired that it should be a big boost from Josh for Josh Morrissey. Uh, but, man, after reading uh, your piece in the Winnipeg Free Press, it was quite clear that um, Josh and his father are incredibly close, and this was an ordeal that... Um, you know, couldn't help but absolutely affect so many aspects of Josh's life, you know, when it comes to just where your headspace is day to day, even going back to, you know, out of the bubble with off-season training and getting ready for the upcoming season in a very, um, shall we say, uh, strange way that you normally would be used to. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a, a terrible news to learn back uh, on August the 8th, a few weeks ago, that Tom Morrissey, uh, quite shockingly, had had lost his uh, his fight against brain cancer. Huss. This was less than a year after he was diagnosed um, last September was when the, the terrible news came, actually shortly after the Jets got knocked out of the Edmonton bubble. And it obviously threw the Morrisseys for a, a real loop. Uh, I'll say this. I mean, Josh Morrissey, um, you know, for a very public athlete, th- this was a private battle that that he and his family were were obviously involved with. And I give Josh Morrissey all the credit in the world for you know opening up to me uh, last week uh, about what his family and what he and his father had gone through. Um, I-, I actually first met Tom Morrissey a couple of years ago. I was working on a feature at the time. This is shortly after Josh signed his his you know long term extension with the Jets. And I wanted to do a, a bigger piece on just, you know, who Josh Morrissey was. And uh, I had the privilege of meeting Tom actually at what was then Bell MTS Place. He was in town. As I learned, he was often in town. He would often fly in from Calgary to watch Josh up close. And in fact, he would go on a lot of road trips as well. Uh, Tom had been heavily involved in Josh's life. Not unlike many hockey parents, whether your kid makes the NHL or not, I mean, I have two kids who played hockey and I coached them for close to 10 years. 
Tom Morrissey coached his son, uh, Josh, for for a number of years as well. And in fact, even in off seasons, would still work with Josh on the ice. Tom ran a bunch of of uh, you know hockey schools and clinics in the Calgary area, beloved in the hockey community out there. So, as you can imagine, news of his illness and then his death was a real shock. But you're right, Haas. I mean, the apple didn't fall far from the tree here. We all know, I think, the person Josh Morrissey is very humble, you know, honest, um, a guy that's really easy to kind of root for, right? And and Dad is very much the same. And I could see where Josh got his his qualities from after meeting Tom Morrissey. I actually stayed in touch with Tom over the last couple of years. Uh, and we'd often talk not so much about the Jets or Josh. We just talk about ho- being a hockey parent and, you know, just what that life was like. And I was quite flattered actually to hear a Josh later shared with me that the article I'd written at the time about him and his dad and their bond, that he actually framed it and it was in their, in his house, just kind of as a reminder. And that just told me how treasured, Tom was to Josh and this bond they had. Um, but yeah, this past season, as you know, we know players were playing in the middle of a pandemic. There were no fans. That meant no family at games either, right? And so for Josh Morrissey, who would become so accustomed to seeing his dad, to meeting him, you know, after a game to kind of dissect everything that went on, even though the Jets were playing a bunch of times in Calgary, where it would have just been a beautiful setup for Tom to come and watch him, Obviously, he couldn't. And and even worse, I mean, Josh couldn't even really go see his dad, right? Because of all the protocols players had to be under. Uh, and so his dad was fighting this battle. And Josh would still talk to him on the phone after games. Uh, he told me that that was, you know, part of what was helping his dad through this fight, just to have the Jets and hockey as a distraction here. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the stories that really stuck out, Huss, you touched on it, was the offseason last year before the Jets returned uh you know for training camp just after Christmas uh, Josh said that he was quite concerned his dad was going through chemo and radiation and obviously he was worried about maybe bringing COVID you know into that that situation so rather than go skate like he normally would with a large group of other NHL guys in the Calgary area you know go train at a gym that he regularly went to he had to really lock himself down and he was literally skating in a barn uh, just outside of Calgary that a buddy of his owned and installed a really small sheet of ice. He had an ice making plant. And Josh Morrissey, you know, would go for an hour or two a day in sort of a lonely kind of solo skate to stay in shape uh, because he, he said, I, I wanted to do what I could, everything I could to keep my dad safe. And, you know, he was working out in his gym at home. He will not use it as an excuse. To be clear, he absolutely is not saying anything about his play last year linked to this. But I think as human beings, how how could this not have affected what he was going through? It, you know, think of your own job, whatever it is. If you had this going on at home um, in, the, in these sort of circumstances, how could it not impact, let alone compete in a, in an athletic, you know, event at the highest possible level. So a tragic story for sure. Uh, They had a beautiful memorial service just over a week ago, um, which Josh said was, you know, real nice to hear the way his dad impacted so many, but uh, a heavy heart for Josh Morrissey and his family for sure. Well, uh, no doubt about it. And it was uh, a really nice piece. I suggest people uh, pick it up and we're getting some comments from it uh, already from, uh, from what you, uh, the people that had read it and, um, 
you know, and Morrissey's always been such an easy guy to cheer for. Um, and I think that, you know, he has, you know, on account, never mind what he does done on the ice, just the man that he is and the individual that we've gotten right. to know over the years that, you know, people, you know, really are pulling for him. And, and I think that when, you know, we sort of learned through your reporting and some of the other things that came out, what had been going through. I mean, it's logical to think that because I mean, listen, you can be in the best shape in the world. If your head's not right, right. In, in anything, it's tough to, you know, be close to your best. And um, like you said, no one's using any excuse or you know, he certainly isn't having any excuses for him. But, um, you know, and hey, coming back to playing the game after all of this might not be easy right off the bat, but. Um, you know, moving on in a positive way um, on a team that, you know, he is a huge part of with a very different looking blue line this year. Um, you know, I certainly think that there are better things for Josh Morrissey going forward. Um, let's talk about Ehlers for a minute. Um, he, of course, scored a couple of goals for the Danes today as they look to qualify for the Olympics. Um, we have not talked a lot about his role on this team going into next season, but I did want to bring this up to you. Um we know how effective he was. We've talked about all the underlying numbers. I mean, you didn't need underlying numbers if you were watching the team last year just to know the star that he has turned into and how effective he's been. Um, and yet he still was, you know, not on that top line. He wasn't on that top power play. How do you think things work through training camp? And is Ehlers a guy that, you know, might start the season in a different position than he was before, Mike? Or do you think we'll sort of pick up where we left off with that top six coming back intact? And, um, you know, maybe over the course of the year, Ehlers will get spelled in and uh, maybe play a little bit more. How do you see that playing out, you know, before we even get to the regular season? Yeah, I think Nikolai Ehlers has to be on the top line right out of camp, you know, game one. He's got to be, and presumably it would be on the right side on that top line. Um, when I say game one, we don't, we know that Mark Shifley will not be the number one center for game one this year, Huss. Don't forget, folks. <laughs> I hate to put salt in the old wound. Mark Shifley still has a one-game suspension to serve. Uh, so he his debut will have to come a few nights later up in San Jose, not in Anaheim. Uh, I don't know who the number one center is for game one. Is it Pierre-Luc Dubois? Is it Paul Stasny? Is it Andrew Kopp? I mean, the lineup for the first game will look different, obviously. Uh, likely will, will for game two because Mark Scheifele's for sure coming in the lineup for game two. That being said, I don't care who the center is. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers should be on the wing uh, on that top line. And, you know, Blake Wheeler, to me, can't be on that top line. Uh, I mean, maybe in spurts and in small doses, Blake Wheeler for sure is still on your top power play unit, no question about it. Uh, but I think, you know, Blake Wheeler's probably better suited at this stage now in a, in a second or even maybe a third-line pair uh, role here going forward. I mean, I think the top six, it's pretty set, right? Like, Andrew Kopp for sure could could come up there, and he probably does in the first game because Shifley's out. But I think we know that there's going to be some combination of Shifley, Wheeler, Connor, Ehlers, Dubois, and Stasny. So those are your six guys. How you want to piece them together? I mean, are you going Stasny, Dubois, and Wheeler? Is that your second line if you're going Shifley, Connor, Ehlers? Uh, and then, of course, you've got your third line with Lowry and Kopp, I believe. Um, but we also know, like, Andrew Kopp has played 
and I thought played really well when he was with, uh, I believe it was with Paul Stasny and Nikolai Ehlers at one point. So there are options for sure. Uh, but to me, this is a team, this is in a way Nikolai Ehlers' team. He is the he is the engine now for your offense, right? He's the guy that does so much. And, and I think we saw big strides in his defensive game as well this past year. Yes, there's still room for improvement there, no question about it. But he became a very consistent offensive producer. Uh, I think he, you know, lost sort of that streaky label that maybe he had at times. And I think, you know, kind of shedding um, the the reputation that he wasn't a playoff performer. You know, he was really good in the bubble in Edmonton. He was really good again in the playoffs this past season. And I think that just gave him some real confidence here. And to me, you've got to, in a lot of ways, build your offense around Nikolai Ehlers. Um. Okay, let's say that you're right, and Ehlers is up with Shifley and Connor on the top line. Can those three guys hack it defensively in matchups against top lines in the league? Right. Does Paul Maurice believe that? And I guess the the second side of that is: is it a different story this year because of the additions on the Jet Blue line? Yes. Does do, do those do those additions in Dylan and Schmidt give the opportunity for Paul Maurice to consider that more than he may have done in the past? because of what might ha- be happening in their own end. You know, things will be good in the offensive zone, but what happens on the other side of center? Oh, they sure as heck do, Huss, because, you know, again, no offense to these guys. They they did, I think, at times, pretty good jobs last year. Um, but you if you'd roll that line out last year, I mean, on the back end, you were probably having one of Tucker Poolman, who for a lot of the year was on your top pairing, or Derek Forbert who I think as the year went on, you know, the cracks started to show in his game. And as I say, all the respect in the world to those guys, I, I would say Derek Forbert overachieved last year. The Jets got great value for what they paid Derek Forbert last year. But as the season went on, you know, I think we started to see maybe him regress. So this year, Tucker Pullman and Derek Forbert are not in your top four. They have been replaced with Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt. Uh, and there's a very good chance that Neil Pionk and Josh Morrissey are the other parts of that top four. And Dylan DeMello certainly would make a case to be in there as well. And if Dylan DeMello is on your third pair with a Logan Stanley, I mean, that's a pretty good pair as well. Or whatever you wanted to do there, whether it was a Billy Hanala, um, you know, the Jets will have some options. But I-, I think, you know, for sure, when you talk about, say, a Shifley, Connor, Ehlers line, the, the argument against that line has always been what you just said is, can they, we, we know what they could do offensively. Can they handle the defensive end? And I think we saw at times last year in all of their games, probably especially in Shifley's game, it, he left you wanting a lot more, right, on the defensive side of things. Um, so, you know, that, that would always be a concern for sure. And But I think with what they're going to have on the back end this year, it gives you a little more confidence to maybe deploy those guys and kind of let them do what they do best and have the comfort knowing that you've got a little more reliability back there kind of in behind them to cover for whatever mistakes might inevitably happen. Let's talk about the power play for a minute. Um, Have you thought at all about how that first unit might look this year? Um, You know, we talk a lot about Blake Wheeler, but I mean, we want to talk about being productive on the power play. He certainly has been over the course of the last few years. Um, but it's been strange in that, you know, there wasn't really a spot for Ehlers 
even when Patrick Laine was traded. Um, and, you know, having a real quality second unit, um, which, you know, often featured Neil Pionk too, which for my money was the Jets' best power play defenseman last year, um, despite the fact that he didn't have the shot of buff and it looked a lot different when he first started doing it. Um, there are some options, uh, but I am quite wondering, I mean, as far as the forwards go, how do you get Ehlers on that group? Or do you need to do that? Do you try to put together two pretty evenly balanced power play units and, um, you know, play them both? Yeah, no, normally I would say you have to get Ehlers on that top unit just because in the past, Huss, the disparity between what PP1 and PP2 gets on the ice, you know, it was massive. We'd see the first power play unit stay out there for a buck 30, a buck 40. And, you know, by the time Ehlers would hop over the boards, like the power play was nearly done. Right? The goalie's maybe, back in his stick. <laughs> right. Maybe had time for one reset. And Nikolai Ehlers would usually do what he does, which is the zone entry machine, right? He'd, he'd razzle and dazzle and gain the zone only to have the, the other guy come out of the box. And, oh, well, you know, too bad, so sad, maybe better luck next time. I'll say this, though, and give Paul Maurice some credit for this. As the season went on last year, and as the the second unit featuring Nikolai Ehlers, and don't forget it also had guys like Andrew Kopp and Matthew Perot, who were really good contributors. Kopp is back. Perot will not be. Uh, but they started to see more and more time. And in fact, we saw us. There were times even coming out of like a TV timeout where everybody was rested. Paul Maurice would start that group and he'd leave the Shifley group on the bench, which that couldn't have been an easy decision, but it was the right decision because he was going with the hot hand. So it all depends on deployment. If Paul Maurice is going to reward the group that is going best, and if the Jets can almost get this internal competition going, which the guys talked about it last year, right? We'd talk to them after games. And there was this friendly rivalry between the two groups. And they were kind of keeping score as to which group was producing more. Like, that's a good thing in my eyes. So you can leave Nikolai Ehlers for sure if you want to call that the second power play unit. If you're going to give him the, the equal chance to become the first power play unit and to play, you know, the dominant role, if you will, uh, to me, Huss, the more interesting storyline about the power play is how do you find enough ice for Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk and now Nate Schmidt, who, you know, for my money, Nate Schmidt's going to be on one of those two power play units, is he not? Like, that's kind of, that. that's an area that he plays a lot of, in, in, at least on his past teams. Are the Jets going to go with two defensemen on one of those units just to get enough ice time, or does one of those three guys get knocked out of what is a a, a familiar role for them? And, and I'm curious to see how that maybe works. Well, I, I am too. And, you know, sometimes we've joked that it's sort of a union shop in, in Winnipeg under Mo, and, you know, sometimes guys will just stay in that position because they've been there before. And, and listen, I'll go back to the start of our conversation. I mean, I've got a lot of optimism that Josh Morrissey steps up and, you know, is, you know, more of a clear head, playing with better players will be in a better situation. But I, to be honest, at times last year, I kind of thought he was miscast as a guy that was running a number one power play. Yeah. I, I, I think Neil Pionk absolutely has shown that he's capable of doing that. And I think Nate Schmidt brings a lot of that to the club as well in a position like that. And 
And listen, I know everyone wants their apples. He's on a long-term contract. He doesn't have to worry about putting up a ton of points. He's got to worry about winning games. I don't think it's a bad idea at all if Josh Morrissey spends less time on the power play, makes way for some other guys that might be able to be a bit more efficient and, you know, saves his time for some hard minutes playing in a top four role in some pretty difficult matchups against the top teams that are coming against the Jets. Yeah, I I could still see where, you know, maybe I I think that that Josh Morrissey and Nate Schmidt is probably the, the number one defensive pairing that's probably how it looks out of camp and we probably get brendan Dillon and neil pionk on the second group and so i do wonder and i'm with you neil pionk has to stay on the power play he's if you look at the last two years forget about the jets he's one of the best point producing defensemen in the nhl on the power play so to me neil pionk is on probably your whatever you want to call your top power play unit but i do wonder if we see morrissey and schmidt maybe on the back end of of quote PP2. Uh, and essentially one of those guys, I guess it would be Nate Schmidt, is taking the spot that Matthew Perot has now vacated, right? And so, you know, you're going basically of your 10 players that are getting power play time, you're using your top seven forwards, the top six that we talked about, and Andrew Cott being the seventh. And then you're using those three defensemen. And so you're going the four and one alignment, you know, on the top power play unit. Is that Shifley, Wheeler, Stasny, and Connor? Is that what they do, which they usually did, you know, last year? And then are you having like Ehlers, Dubois, and Kopp? Is that your second unit with with Morrissey and Schmidt? Uh, that's just one scenario that I could see. Um, but yeah, Paul Maurice is going to have some options here. And that's what training camp is obviously going to be about. There's not going to be, in my eyes, a whole lot of 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 jobs that are being fought for here, at least you know, to make the team. Certainly, you know, yeah, the the fourth line, there's going to be some competition to see how that shakes out. And I guess there's a competition maybe for the seventh defense position, I guess. I mean, Logan Stanley's on the team, right? Like, so who's the the seventh defense? You know, and it, I think a lot of it's going to depend on what they do with the salary cap. I don't think the Jets are starting the year with 23 players. I think they're carrying a 22-man roster at most, which is just going to mean one extra forward, one extra defenseman. The waivers, you know, waivers are going to come into play. Do they waive Sammy Niku? Do they try and bury Nate Bolio's contract in, in the minors? Like, there's some things at play here. And I also think if Billy Hanel is not in your top six, I don't think you just want him sitting as your seventh. You'd prefer that he's playing on the top line with the moose so you know there's some things in play here but it, it, it that's going to be one of the areas to watch for sure in in camp is what happens with the power play no doubt about it now mike i've been paying attention to a few of the comments in the chat and this is something that we've heard before um and you even said suggesting blake wheeler might be a third liner are we making a little too much about some of the struggles wheelers had at times last year when he was obviously injured i mean right. you go back I mean, a lot of people are talking about the guy as if he's done. He had 46 points in 50 games. Yeah. I mean, he was still a very important player. And as Mitch said, you know, you can talk a lot about the defensive issues on that top line. Um, but <laughs> Mitch said it best. You know, Shifley and Connor at times were very suspect defensively. And Wheeler was kind of guilty by association. Um right. I don't know. I, I really think that until we see a significant drop-off, maybe we should just pump the brakes on uh, 
the demise of Blake Wheeler uh, to the point that maybe some people are suggesting? Look, he's your captain. He's your leader. He's your highest paid player. Blake Wheeler's not fading into the, the background here anytime soon. And, you know, as long as there's game there, he's going to be given every opportunity for sure. I don't think at this point Blake Wheeler's a third liner. I think maybe in a year or two we're talk we're having that conversation. And again, if Blake Wheeler gets pushed down, to me that means that somebody else has pushed up. And that should be the goal of the Jets, right? You you shouldn't you you should want somebody to try and knock, you know, the 36-year-old down a spot in your lineup because it means that somebody else has come and kind of won that job. And the team is better for it. We all know at, at this point in his career, Huss, Blake Wheeler is all about winning a championship. He's not playing for another contract. Uh, the personal stats mean diddly squat to Blake Wheeler at this point in the game. And I would suggest, you know, Blake Wheeler would gladly uh, take on a slightly lesser role on this team if it meant that the team was ultimately you know, enjoying more success as a whole. So, yeah, I mean, the injury for sure. And, you know, we talked about Josh Morrissey, what he was going through last season, Huss, and how so many people were kind of quick to pounce all over him without knowing the whole story. I would say a lot of those same people were doing the same thing to Blake Wheeler, especially early in the year when we later learned, you know, this was a guy playing through cracked ribs, <clears throat> which would have been extremely painful and it's part of the reason he looked like he had slowed down significantly. Well, of course he did. You try skating with cracked ribs um, and playing the kind of game that Blake Wheeler did. So, you know, should he have shut himself down? And maybe it would have been better for everybody if he had taken a couple weeks off to heal rather than trying and play through it. But we know how Blake Wheeler is wired. <clears throat> and, you know, he's a very proud individual for sure. But he's also a guy that I think puts team before anything else. And so I expect we're going to see, uh, I won't even call it a Blake Wheeler comeback because I think Blake Wheeler is what we know he is. And when he's healthy, he can still be a very effective sort of mid, you know, uh, second line kind of right winger who can do a lot of things and can certainly help on the top power play unit. Well, and and, and I guess just going to kind of, contradicting myself a little bit. Well, I mean, maybe it's just all part of the same conversation, but if Wheeler was in a more secondary role than a guy that is out there for the majority of the power play and playing 20 plus at five on five with those guys. And, you know, maybe you're talking about ice time that goes down three or four minutes a game. Um, you know, father time is a real thing. And I would suggest that there certainly is an argument that, Wheeler, albeit maybe playing with different players, might not have the same point output, but could be as, if not more effective uh, with maybe a little bit of a, less, a lesser workload on a nightly basis from the coach. Well, and let's not forget, Huss, that we're going back to a regular NHL schedule this year. Uh, you know, 82 games, not 56, right? A lot more travel. The Jets are going to be in the air and in hotels a lot more uh, than they were this past season when they played exclusively in Canada. And they'd often stay in the same city for, you know, four or five days, right? So, uh, yeah, that's a tough schedule. It's a grind on anybody. And the older you get, the tougher it gets for sure. 
So I think that's going to be a key um, is is to to monitor that. <clears throat> you know, the Jets don't have a lot of of you know older players. They got Paul Stasny and and obviously Blake Wheeler, um, but they still are a relatively youthful group. Um, and you know, you hope you got the fresh legs and all that to carry your team. But yeah, watching that ice time for sure, and sometimes. Less really is more, as the saying goes, especially when it comes to an, an older veteran player. Mike McIntyre, the Winnipeg Free Press, is with us chatting Jets offseason, looking ahead to training camp. The, and, and this speaks to the great position that Jet fans are in right now. The summer that Kevin Dayoff had, the excitement about the club. I would say the most hot button topic in our chat has been, can Eric Comrie be the backup goalie for the Winnipeg Jets? And if we're talking about the backup goalie is the most glaring issue, I would say right. that's a first-world problem for being NHL fans. But let's talk about that for a minute. Um, What do you think is at stake for Eric Comrie going into training camp, going into the preseason? And let's assume that he's the guy when we drop the puck in Anaheim for game number one of 82. Um how long of a leash will Eric Comrie have? What does he need to do with his first opportunities? And how realistic is the possibility of maybe adding another goaltender at some point? How do you see that all happening, Mike? So let me say this. I know some people will look at Eric Comrie's NHL numbers and, and just immediately write him off. Say, this guy is an absolute bust at the NHL level. He cannot be an NHL goalie. He's a career minor leaguer. I've heard that a ton. You have to look at <clears throat> at Eric Comrie's handful of NHL starts spread over a number of seasons <clears throat> and the circumstances of those games. Like, I mean, and, and this applies usually to backups across the board. They are not getting <clears throat> the primo starts, right? They're the guy that's coming in on the back half of a, you know, the, the second half of a back-to-back when the team in front of them has dead legs. And they're the guy, you know, it's a tough job for sure. Um, Eric Comrie's numbers and and what he's done at the AHL level, you know, you can't dispute that he has been a terrific AHL goaltender. He owns all kinds of Manitoba Moose records. You know, he just passed Corey Schneider, who turned out to be a pretty good NHL goaltender himself, right? And Eric Comrie is still a young goaltender. We see goalies all the time. <clears throat> well into their 20s some guys they're not they're 30 or or older before they really start to come into their own so i'm not ready to write eric comrie off at all that being said for sure i mean you look at the the cap situation the jets had and it became abundantly clear especially when they got dylan and schmidt this team didn't have a lot of money to play with uh and i should add when they re-signed paul stasny right dylan schmidt stasny those three guys kind of ate up most of the cash the Jets had. All they really could do at that point <clears throat> is kind of entry level or, you know, minor league or minimum salary story kind of deals, which, you know, you've seen guys like Riley Nash, you know, come in on and, and some of these other players that are going to be kind of competing for depth spots. So, you know, yes, you could make the argument that the Jets had to go cheap, if you will, on the backup goalie position. Ideally, Connor Hellebuck's going to play 65 games next season. We know that Connor Hellebuck would play 82 games if they'd let him. <laughs> uh, the Jets will not let him play all 82, but you know he's going to want to play as much as he can. So you're talking about, what, 15, 17 starts for Eric Comrie? 
spread out over six months, he's going to play like three times a month, uh, which is not, again, it's not an easy position to come into. But I, I will say this. I think the lineup that Eric Comrie will be coming into <clears throat> will be the best lineup that he's ever you know had in front of him. And especially the blue line, you know, his few starts in the past with the Jets, he will not have had this kind of blue line in front of him. When he played his one game with New Jersey last year, he didn't have a team like this in front of him. When he played his couple games with the Red Wings the year before, didn't have a team like this in front of him. <clears throat> so, you know, I think let's give the guy a chance. Let's give him a clean slate. He's not going to need, they're not asking him to come in and be all world and, you know, steal them all kinds of games. He just has to be okay. Uh, that being said, if he comes in and, and, you know, after a few starts looks overmatched, Kevin Sheveldayoff will have to do something. No question about it. He won't have a lot of money to do something with. Uh, we know there are some veteran guys out there, you know, got journeyman goaltenders right now that don't have homes. Like, I suppose as time goes on, their price goes down, right? So is there a possibility that the Jets could look at at bringing a guy, you know, a guy in who's got some NHL experience and maybe some success at that level, a more veteran guy? Sure, that could happen. But ideally, Eric Comrie is going to take this opportunity, which I would suggest is an opportunity he's never had before, and given what he's done at the AHL level, he's absolutely earned the chance to at least be the first guy up to, to get this crack. And if he can kind of take the, the, the ball and run with it um, at the salary he's making, the Jets will be all the better for him. Well, well, no doubt. And I'm glad you brought that up. When we were having this conversation, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I did point out Eric Comrie's played five games for the Jets. I mean, I don't know how much you want to put into his one game with New Jersey or his three games with the Detroit Red Wings as they were the worst teams in the National Hockey League when he was playing for them. And you look at the five games he played for the Winnipeg Jets. First game he ever played, one game that uh, the first season, he won in Columbus uh, and stopped a ton of rubber early on in a hockey game that the Jets didn't really show up for. The next year, he played three games, one of which I believe was also against Columbus. And then the final game he played as a Jet was game 81 of the 2019 season when the Jets were falling apart at the seams, combusting internally. That's the game we all remember of Bufflin smashing the stick after the, uh, the power play and the infamous closed-door meeting one game away from the playoffs. So... I will say to this to people that want to just put the stamp on Eric Comrie based on what they've seen from Winnipeg. Um, I'm not sure that many goaltenders would have fared any better in the situation that he was put in. All that being said, you do have to get the job done and you do have to prove yourself. And and that's why I do think that his training camp and his preseason is going to be so much more important than maybe for any other player that we look yeah. to be on that opening day roster. Because here's the thing, Mike. If they, if their spidey senses are tingling, shall we say, about that position, when you get to the end of the preseason, that's the unique opportunity where I mean, you could send Eric Comrie down if you have another guy, and that's when the third goalies and all of these other teams yes. are going to be there for free on the waiver wire, probably at a very similar salary to what Eric Comrie has. 
Um, you know, they'll be an Anton Forsberg this year. Right. Hell, Eric Comrie was that guy for the last couple of years that got put on waivers and went somewhere sure. else and then ended up getting a spot. I'm not sure whether those same opportunities are there for Kevin Sheveldayoff and, and Larry Simmons and Zinger three, four weeks into the season. So I really do think that it will be incumbent on Comrie to come show up, have a great camp, play well in the preseason. Um, because if they do feel that they have to pull a trigger or explore that, their options are going to be significantly different, I think, a month into the season than yeah. they will be when everyone hits the waiver wire. No, you're right. And we saw the the goalie musical chair game uh, happen early in this this last season, right? And and a bunch of guys, and Anton Forsberg, obviously. And I know the taxi squad, you know, created an interesting dynamic because you had to have that third guy kind of still up with the big club. And then you had to still stock your AHL roster. Um, so you know, the taxi squad is gone. But I think we're still going to see some of those same interesting dynamics. And you're right. I know a lot of people ask about a guy like Mikel Burden, the Birdman. <clears throat> you know, why isn't he an option? Does he have a shot here? I would say it's still too early for Mikel Burden um, to be a backup goalie at the NHL level. Like, <clears throat> there's some things for sure about Mikel Burden that are very intriguing. Um, could he develop into a backup goalie at the NHL? Absolutely. Could he develop into a starter at the NHL level one day? I don't see why not. Uh, but I think he's a guy, he needs more games, right? And he needs the games to be at a, at a lower leverage, you know, a lower stake kind of. And so the Jets, they would love Mikel Burden to go down and just play a ton with the Moose this year. Be the number one guy down there and, you know, continue to work at his craft and get that, Get that odometer up, right? So that one day he could perhaps step into that role with the big club. But I think the, the time is not now. I mean, sure, if, if the Jets were to get hit by an injury situation or something freakish, they may have no choice, at least for a spell. But I don't think that that's not the in case of emergency break glass situation that you want to have to rely on right now. And I do think the Jets would look outside the organization before they look to a guy like Mikel Burden if Eric Comrie, they don't feel, can get the job done. I'm with you 100% on that. I think the plan is for Burden to get back to the Manitoba Moose and play a ton of hockey this year and uh, potentially be ready for that role, you know, possibly the following season or, sure. you know, depending on what happens with Comrie, have a real legitimate competition between those two <laughs> and have a, a legit third guy that, you know, they feel confident about coming out right. if they need Man, Mike, this is great. It's been a long time since we've had a legit all-hockey conversation. I will direct people to your piece in the Winnipeg Free Press if they want to talk about COVID and some of the things that we're dealing with right now. We uh, we got a little too far down that rabbit hole with Rod Peterson yeah. earlier today. So uh, another reason to go read Mike's fine work in the Winnipeg Free Press um, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, what's going on now? You finished the golf tour. Are we going to get back uh, writing in the newspaper in the next little bit? What do you got cooking? Well, I almost feel guilty for saying this, Haas, but after tomorrow, I actually start a week of holidays. Now, some would say, <laughs> wait a minute, you actually you went golfing a couple days during work this week. Wasn't that like holidays? And to which I really have no defense. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually off next week, but I am writing uh, one more piece tomorrow uh, before signing off for the weekend. It's actually kind of what we've touched on a bit. It's going to be more about Josh Morrissey and the bigger issue of just how 
it kind of broadening away from just sports, how everybody's fighting a battle these days, you know, and, and maybe we shouldn't be so quick to just judge people, whether it's an athlete or a fellow human being, because we don't know what people are often going through. And I think we've seen that, whether it's Josh Morrissey and what he played through last year. I even look back to some of the vitriol directed Blake Wheeler's way when he was obviously fighting through an injury. And I just, you know, it, it rubs me the wrong way how how vicious and cruel I think people can be at times. And I think the Morrissey story is just a good reminder of how a little kindness sometimes can go a long way. So I'm going to have a piece that will run in Saturday's paper just kind of picking up on, on Josh Morrissey's story and building off that. And then, yeah, on, on holidays for a week. And uh, I do plan on hitting the golf course uh, a time or two as well. Also heading out to the dump next week, which uh, that, that in and of itself, shit, that's like a, a field trip, right? I'm just gonna go hit some balls out there. Get ready for yeah. the round, or <laughs> <laughs> maybe throw my club. Maybe leave my club behind. Yeah, l- probably searching for a new putter in the yeah. dump at some point. Hey, Mike, this was a lot of fun. We always love having you on the program. Thanks so much for doing this, and uh, you be well. Enjoy that week off because we know when we get on the other side of Labor Day yeah. weekend, uh, the sports world gets cranked up again. The NFL starting, the big games in the Canadian Football League, and. Uh, training camp right around the corner and uh, just on the way out let me ask you this because you talk about a lot of the vitriol you hear and god knows i wouldn't want to be in your inbox after the column that you put out today considering what i've seen on a regular basis um but how would you characterize i i I can tell you from my personal standpoint 10 years at the start it was first year was different we were back in the national hockey league everything was incredible and we were just happy to be there i can't remember even including the 2018 season with that incredible run. I can't remember legitimate excitement amongst Jet fans about this coming year. And, you know, sure, a lot of it's going to be, hey, we can hopefully get back and actually watch games again. But the moves Kevin Dayoff made over the course of this offseason, even his greatest critics are seeming to be pretty excited about the upcoming year. Are you feeling that same thing from Jet fans when uh, you're opening up your inbox uh, when you haven't touched on some of the more controversial topics of today? Yeah, when I'm not being called a sheep or, or sheeple, <laughs> uh, part of the sheeple uh, movement. Uh, absolutely, Huss. And, you know, the the roster additions aside, like it seems like the Jets kind of hit all the right notes off the ice as well. You know, everything from the, the, the heritage announcements, you know, the Howard Chuck statue at True North Square, bringing back the, 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 you know, making the heritage jerseys the full time, which, by the way, Josh Morrissey told me that's one of the things he's most excited about. He said <laughs> he called those. He said the first time he ever laid eyes on those jerseys, his word to me was they were stunning. And he loved the fact that they're going to wear them 14 times at home this season. And, yeah, I mean, even the move that, you know, True North and the Jets kind of led the way. We've seen other sports organizations now follow, but with the the vaccination requirement, you know, to attend games. And I think certainly there's a a vocal minority that that doesn't sit well with, but I would suggest the silent majority uh, love that move as well as they should. So, yeah, the excitement is absolutely building. And, you know, the Jets, in my eyes, and I think in a lot of people's eyes, this is going to be the deepest, most talented team that they're going to roll out uh, at least since that 2018 magical run to the Western Conference Final. And it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of follow them over the six or seven or 
dare everyone dream eight months that this season is going to last. Well, I can tell you, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know everyone in the chat is as well. And uh, I'm also looking forward to more conversations like this with you. Just great feedback from everyone with your return to the program, Mike. Even in the dog days of summer, we can have a great Jets conversation here on Winnipeg Sports Talk with you. Thanks so much for doing that. Uh, Keep it in the fairway. Hit them straight. And uh, may the next time you pull out the Sherwood on the green, it drops again. For sure. Thanks, Us. Take care. (laughs) Great stuff. There he is, Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike McIntyre WPG and check out all of Mike's work daily in the Winnipeg Free Press. That was uh, that was just a great conversation. I'm, uh, I, you know, we haven't had a lot of Jets news to talk about, but you know, some of our regulars that we're often talking with throughout the hockey season have all been on holidays, and you know, of course, we're talking Bombers and CFL and NFL training camps, but. That certainly is the bread and butter of Winnipeg Sports Talk. That was a great conversation with Mike. I hoist a little brown jug 1919 in Mike's honor, not to mention the fact that dude has dropped over 100 pounds. Man, he looks great. A lot of nice comments for Mike as well in the uh, uh, the chat. Um, But, of course, Little Brown Jug, great partner of ours. You can still order for home delivery. If you get that in by 2 p.m. Wednesday to Saturday, they'll have same next-day delivery. You can do that simply and easy at littlebrownjug.ca. But, you know, for the time being, we're allowed to get out, get together with friends. I would definitely suggest you go and check out Little Brown Jug HQ along with the great patio on William Avenue. Uh, you'll be able to grab a slice of pizza and a couple cold pints in 1919. Maybe try the summer lager or the Hefeweizen, which are available right now in the summer variety pack. Some great merchandise as well. And with still hopefully some nice days left, some live entertainment there as well. So you can check all that out. And speaking of live entertainment, uh, Gold Eyes have a big game tonight. They lost yesterday uh, to the Milwaukee Milkman on a walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth. Unfortunately, they're four games back. Still lots of baseball left to play, and Little Brown Jug will be at the ballpark at Craft Beer Corner from August 31st to September 6th to finish up the season. So uh, certainly planning on taking a couple games in that week when we can get the good stuff, the Little Brown Jug at Craft Beer Corner. Again, William Avenue, Little Brown Jug, or online, littlebrownjug.ca. It it didn't go well, I think, for uh, the WST boys last night at the track. I know it didn't go well for me. Uh, one off on a couple triactors, just missed the Quinella, but we'll be back at it again coming up next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for live racing. But when it, the Cinnaboy Downs, of course, is open every single day of the year with the exception of Christmas Day, and uh, the VLTs are open now from 9 a.m. until 12.15 p.m., as is the Terrace Dining Room. Now, you do need to make arrangements, uh, reservations, excuse me, for the Terrace Dining Room, especially on live racing days. You can do that all by calling Assiniboia Downs or find out more information at asdowns.com. And if you want to play with us from home, follow the guys in ASD Live on YouTube as it happens. You can do that through the app at hpibet.com. And uh, when the days that Assiniboia Downs aren't racing, you can basically uh, throw a tuning on your favorite horse from tracks around the world. It's all there at hpibet.com. Um, man, it's been a great golf season working with our friends at Breezy Bend Golf and Country Club, home of the champions. Um, they've had a great, great year. And uh, as far as the PGA Tour goes for our Breezy Bend Golf Reports, there is a lot going on right now. It's the top 70 in the world battle at the BMW Championship to qualify 
for the Tour Championship next week at East Lake Golf and Country Club in Atlanta. can tell you right now, from the BMW, no surprise, the favorite John Rahm right up near the top of the leaderboard. He has had a scintillating seven under par. He's got two holes to go, but he's not in first place. And that is because Sam Burns, who came in in the 12 hole with a couple wins, I believe, this year on tour, is eight under playing the 18th hole. So Sam Burns minus eight, John Rahm minus seven, Abraham answer at six under, and then a group at five under, including Harold Varner III, Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson, and Xander Shoffley. Uh, just going down, my guy Tony Finau's four under through 16. Daniel Berger's four under in the hole. And there's Phil Mickelson, who started off at 70th, dead last in the field. He did an Instagram saying he was ready to ball today. And um, he's been pretty good, four under through 13. Phil's going to need to have a big, big week and weekend if he wants to crack the top 30. As far as the Canadians in the field, Corey Connors is two under right now. Corey came in at 20th. He needs to be in the top 30. His current ranking is 24th right now, so he'll have some more work to do. And uh, Mac Hughes came in at 68th. He basically needs probably a top three finish. He is even right now through four holes. Um, you can check out PGA Tour app for that. It should be some great golf on the weekend in this top 70. And then uh, the strange Tour Championship where the top player starts at, I think, minus 10. Next guy's minus 8. And they go down from there uh, with, what, $15 million on the line. Uh, so we can check that out. We'll follow that for the next couple days. And as always, all of our golf coverage here brought to you by our friends at Breezy Bend. You can hit them up at breezybend.ca or give them a call. Ask for our pal Corey Johnson about making Breezy your golf home for you and the family next season. All right, let's get Michael Remus back in here. Um, Remo, I didn't anticipate getting uh, on maybe the uh, the track that we were on with Rod Peterson, but I really did enjoy the conversation. I think it's something that a lot of people in Manitoba and Saskatchewan are dealing with right now. But, um, man, it was great just to talk Jets for half an hour or so with Mike McIntyre. Hit pretty much all the big topics coming out of the uh, out of the summer into training camp. And, of course, did talk about Josh Morrissey's situation. For anyone that read that um, piece that Mike put together in the Winnipeg Free Press, I think it just shows what that young man was dealing with. And um, I think everyone hopes that he'll have a, a clearer head despite the family tragedy and be able to move on with a new partner next year and uh, get back to the player that I think everyone was so excited about seeing when the Jets signed him to that eight-year deal. Yeah, definitely got a bit deep down into the rabbit hole with uh, with Rod. Uh, uh, any, uh, anyone go over the top? Rope? No, I I didn't. I didn't have to send. It was it was pretty civil. Oh, nice. And, and Thank some, you, everybody. Thank some you. Di- some disagreements, but I thought it was uh, it was That's reasonable. Fine. That's fine. And then, um, yeah, we didn't really get too much into uh, you know the matchups this week. I'm starting to look at my CFL fantasy. We got a couple spots left in our DraftKings. I threw the link up earlier. So, uh, you know, shorter week, but looking forward to that. But, yeah, that Jets talk with Mike starting to get fired up. Nice to put together hypothetical power plays, hypothetical <laughs> lines, uh, discussing the backup goalie. And I think yeah, I think it's a valid concern, the backup goalie, but, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of salary for that. And I think if it's something that turns into a problem, it will be addressed immediately. And if there's one thing the Jets are good at identifying is holes in the roster and plugging them as a shovel day off did with the defense during the off season. So I think it's a wait and see if Eric Comrie, but I mean, if that's your biggest concern, backup goalie, I think you're in a, 
every team is going to have <laughs> concerns, unless maybe you're Tampa Bay, but even they had some guys uh, bail, not bail, leave the roster this season. So we'll wait and see. I like talking about power play, Nikolai Ehlers, ice time. I think it's pretty clear he's earned to get more time in the power play just based on his production with the limited time he's had. And he's earned, I think he's earned the opportunity to be on the on the top line, get some top line minutes. And look, if he's a guy that doesn't thrive, then we'll know. But I think he's earned his stats, say this guy is a top line player and he should be played as such. So, um, But yeah, great to have some, uh, I'm talking as far as the racetrack. Uh, yeah, I, I did the two $10 winners. Last night, I did not win. Gooch Express, my boy, he finished second, and I was like, there, no, no. <laughs> so I'm the, the losing streak continues for me. Uh, well, I did, and I did mention uh, this yesterday, but uh, somebody hit the super high five this week on a 20-cent single bet. Uh, you know, they probably had it, you know, as part of a larger bet, but essentially it was one 20-cent bet that ended up uh, netting $136,000 for somebody at Assiniboia Downs. I think that was on Tuesday night. So congratulations to whoever that was. I wish it was someone yeah. on our crew. They'd probably be buying a few 1919s for the boys uh, with, a, with a big win like that. Um, let's get to our cool bet lines for today. And uh, unfortunately, I, I will say anyone that was with us on our Lock Shop Partner Parlay yesterday, uh, we were disappointed. Well, we loved the Blue Jay game yesterday, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but the Jays ended up winning 3-1, which meant that the plus one and a half on the White Sox um, blew the parlay before it even got going. So there's a second chance boosted parlay. Plus 450, Dodgers to win tonight, along with my pick and Dusty's pick, BC to win and Hamilton to win in the Canadian Football League. If you go to Cool Bet, just click on the Lock Shop Boosted Partner Parlay. It's right there in the margin. And um, yeah, plus 450 boosted from about plus 360 for Dodgers, Lions, and Ticats. If you like those picks, you get a great number at Cool Bet. And if you haven't played a Cool Bet before, use promo code WST. For a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to $200. Um, which brings us over to the Major League Baseball lines. And uh, if you want to get on the Jays, it's live betting right now. Because this game is already underway. The big Korean ace of the Jays staff, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, literally as I turn around to look, just gave up a homer. <laughs> it's 4-1 now, White Sox. In the top of the third, Jay's bats are going to need to get going, but the pitching has been unbelievable. Uh, Remo, everyone talking about Robbie Ray's 14 strikeout performance last night. Thank God they got a little bit of run support for a guy that is now plus 550 to win the Cy Young. He was 80 to 1 earlier this year. We focused so much on the bullpen and the bats of the Blue Jays and George Springer. Robbie Ray's quietly been one of the great stories, certainly from Blue Jay land this year, but also in the major leagues. And uh, tell you what, a few more starts like that last night with 14 Ks, and he might just win the whole thing. Yeah, the most ever strikeouts in a game by a Blue Jays lefty. Um, pretty incredible. And I remember when they traded for Robbie Ray, I was like, look, this guy has had success before. He just got to tone down the walks. He's done that, and there he is uh, striking over. And now it's like, what are they going to do? How much is he going to want in the offseason to keep him? I got friends texting me. How much does he make? Uh, five years, 100 mil. Five years, 125 mil. This guy has earned himself uh, and is well-deserving of a very nice payday. Um, and so, yeah, great. That was a great move by the Jays, uh, bringing him in, because we knew they needed pitching. 
I mean, you got three solid guys now with Berrios, Ryu, and and um, Robbie Ray. But what good is that if you can't get into the playoffs? So uh, the bullpen, I think, has let them down this season. Some people in chat, maybe Mitch, will be will blame it on the manager and the way that he's used uh, yeah. and done some moves, cost them a couple of games. I'm I'm not here saying that, but I mean, you look at the run differential. They're a playoff team, and it just hasn't been able to come together so it's still time uh andrew stoughton earlier this week i was out on the blue jays I was like ah, oh, they're done he's like hey there's still time left so we'll wait and see well and listen i did say coming out of that dismal week they had with the back-to-back losses to the nats and losing two of three to the tigers and both losses in extra innings you know they were moving up a couple weight classes taking on the beast of the al central and the chicago white Sox and you know, even with that disappointing game a couple nights ago, they won two of three. They haven't been hitting worth anything. I mean, if they can just get a few guys going right now, and they're certainly going to need it if they want to win this game today, already down three, heading to the bottom of the third. I mean, if they could pull out three of four against the White Sox, and then you go into the Tigers, and then the Orioles series, you really do have the opportunity to maybe get on a bit of a run, and that is what the Jays need, is to get on a run. And, uh, by the way, we should, while we're just talking on Major League Baseball, we should congratulate the Baltimore Orioles, Remus, who avoided a 20th straight loss last night with a comeback win over the Anaheim Angels, breaking their 19-game losing streak and avoiding getting to that 21 number. I forgot. I was so young, but 1988, the Orioles started the season oh. And 21. There's been a lot of losing in Baltimore over the course of the years. They are an absolute train wreck right now. But for one night, they got a win. At least they don't have to talk about 19 in a row after they uh, they got the W last night. Yeah, I remember the Orioles when they played the Jays, what, in that wild card game where they didn't bring in um, Zach Britton, the closer. Like, they were supposed to turn around. They were supposed to be on the up and up after so much losing. And no. Uh, there they are. Although they're up right now again, so maybe this is the start of something. And one other, I want to give a shout out to people in chat. Um, Jeff Cabellas and Tracy, uh, they stayed up last night for that marathon, uh, Padres Dodgers game. Oh, nicely done, uh, you think, guys! I think Tracy said it went to like three a.m. I think I went to bed. Sixteen I, innings. Yeah, I thought we weren't supposed to have these games with the current uh, environment of. The way the extra innings are, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you have two elite teams coming together, it's going to be a battle, and you got to stay up late to uh, to get her done. So shout out to them for staying up. You know, I have to ask, and I just now that I think about it, do they go with the runner on second in every half inning? Like, do they keep going, yeah. or do they stop doing that after like the ninth or tenth? Because that is crazy, and I guess it makes sense why we haven't had any real long marathon games this year. And I think that game actually was originally supposed to be a seven-inning game. So they ended up going an extra, what, nine innings. But, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, uh, we haven't seen any marathons like that last night. And I got to tell you, that rivalry between the Dodgers and Padres, even if you're not a big baseball fan, you pop in a game every now and then, um, you can't go wrong watching those those two teams go at it. Both incredible rosters that don't like each other. And it has a playoff feel every time the Padres and the Dodgers go at it. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking at the standings here. I mean, the Padres, as good as they are, and as much as they loaded up, they're still one game back of the wild card. The shocking thing to me is they're 15 games back 
of first <laughs> place the Giants. Like I, I don't think anyone saw this coming from the Giants, even beating the Dodgers. So, I mean, you can bitch all you want about how much the Dodgers spend, but I mean, look at the Giants. They some every time they win, Huss, it's like out of nowhere. No one's ever believed in the Giants except for maybe you know the year uh, what they had Barry Bonds. Then you thought, okay, this is a top team, but. I mean, they won. They won three World Series in the two thousands. Yeah, like every second year, and like I mean, no they'd, one, they'd win, and then they'd be terrible, and then they'd just come back and win, and then they'd come back and be terrible. And yeah, it's uh, as I said, I was yeah. in the K in twenty fourteen, seeing Bumgartner coming oh, out yes. of the of the pen in the sixth inning in Game Seven of the World Series, and knew that uh, my Royals were up against it, and he was. I mean, he was just simply incredible. And um, Sal Perez ended up on what, on third base. And that was that. They won it. Royals came back and won in 2015. But the Giants have been a juggernaut. I'm going to have to ask Chris Abbott over at Cool Bet what the preseason number was on the Giants to win the World Series. Hell, what the preseason number was for the Giants to win the NL West. Yes. you You had the Dodgers and Padres, both two of the kind of the top three or four betting favorites to win the entire thing. Where does that put the team in the division? Anyways, we haven't talked a lot about the Giants this year, but they have been an incredible story in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'm just like looking at the um, at the World Series winners history just to confirm to myself that they did, in fact, win three World Series 2010, 2012 and 2014. And I don't think they were like fav- preseason favorites for any of those. And it's it's unbelievable. And I know a lot of people say, you know, salary caps. You need a salary cap for everyone to be competitive. I think we've had some proof here in MLB the last 15 years that not not necessarily. So uh, I, that that's my take. And I've said that before on this program. We don't need to go down into that rabbit hole. Yeah, no doubt about it. A uh, couple other things. Oh, I mentioned the BMW underway when we were talking our golf report for Breezy Bend. Uh, I did laugh. Uh, Steve Stricker, USA Ryder Cup captain, uh, came out publicly today and said that Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau have agreed to stop feuding publicly ahead of the Ryder Cup. Going to need a couple of those guys to play nice. They're going to be a part of the team going forward. Um, and we should mention as well, tonight, big hockey game. World Women's Hockey Championships. You can watch it on TSN. Canada versus the USA. I believe the States have won the last four World Women's Hockey Championships. Canada certainly has a bit of a score to settle. Uh, But, man, the Canadian chances took a big hit when it was announced that Canadian star Marie-Philippe Poulin will not be playing tonight for Canada. And, um, you know, she is arguably Canada's top player, or certainly one of them, has been a legend for the Canadian women's program over the course of her career. And um, that is a big, big blow to Canada going into this game. The good thing is this is still part of the preliminary round. You'd have to think these teams will play again at some point in the tournament, probably for a gold medal. And if that's the case, fingers crossed that Poulin will be back uh, because uh, missing one of your top players against a roster like the Americans, uh, a big, big disadvantage for Canada tonight in this game. Yeah, no CFL tonight, uh, so we do have, uh, TSN does have some programming they can show in this uh, in this game. I think a lot of people definitely paying attention. Blue Jays in action right now, so I guess that is our, our sports viewing uh, of the evening. Anytime Canada and U.S., I think your ears perk up, you want to tune in. But as we said, it's, you know, whatever the qualifying round, the round robin round, it's not the gold medal game, but 
Uh, I think you'll tune in for a preview. You know it's going to be heated. You know there's going to be uh, emotion when these two teams play. Um, before we go, a uh, couple of other things. I mean, NFL news. I mean, again, you, know, you always end up with the virus at some point. But the the Bills, you know, we joked about Cole Beasley and his hot takes and, you know, the fact that he might retire instead. Well, you should be thinking about that right now because um, he's out for a while for being a close contact Isaiah McKenzie's not fine for not wearing a mask, as were a number of NFL players, along with the corresponding fine of just under 15K. What was funny about it that Isaiah probably didn't think of when he decided to take his fine to Twitter, uh, you might want to block out your personal email, Isaiah, before you put something that's going to be seen by millions of people around the world. RIP your inbox, as they say. Yeah, Isaiah McKenzie 16 at gmail.com. Uh, and he has you should the e- ask him if he wants to come on the show. Yeah, he has the email of the like deputy counsel of the NFL on there, too. I think he was looking for sympathy that he got fined like 15K for not wearing a mask. But I think the policy is pretty clear. Uh, if you know, if you're not vaccinated, you have to wear a mask. And he wasn't wearing one. And he got fined. And I think there was someone from the NFL there watching. And I he's looking, I think he's looking for sympathy. And he definitely did not get it. Uh, <laughs> not did not get it on Twitter. The rules are pretty are pretty simple. I mean, the NFL fines people has for wearing like the wrong socks or, and stuff. Like this isn't this isn't new. Well, this isn't a shock. So well, and considering what they went through last year with trying to get the games on the field, I mean, it's pretty clear why they've got the rules. And uh, hey, if uh, if you're not going to be uh, vaccinated, there are some extra things that you need to do, including keeping your distance and having a mask and dressing in another spot. And if you want to do that, go for it. Uh, but as I said, there won't be a lot of sympathy if you break the rules and you get fined, um, and especially when you put it into uh, into social media. Um, speaking of the NFL, Panini, we talked about tops moving from uh, um, the baseball and Major League Baseball moving from tops to fanatics for their cards next year. Sounds like it's happening with the National Football League as well, Reem. Yeah, this is the this is a interesting oh sorry interesting shift that's going on in the card industry. Fanatics partnering with the players' associations and getting the uh, getting the rights. So MLB cards, I think twenty five, twenty six, moving from tops to fanatics who don't even have a card company. So they went from nothing to now like the biggest player in the cards. There got uh, NFL now. And um, I'm curious what this means for the NHL. You know, Fanatics does have, you know, does the jerseys and, and apparel for the NHL. You have to think Upper Decks is seeing what's going on here. And they're like, oh, I'm not I'm not sure. So big shift going on. I think a lot of fans, not too, ha- I'll say not, not too, too ha- fired up about not, it. Not, not, no, I not mean, excited. Not excited. Listen, I'm sure I respect for Fanatics and what they've been able to do to grow their business. And they're a worldwide, you know, player when it comes to the merchandise. The bottom line is a lot of the stuff isn't that good. And when we're talking about cards, I mean, if they're going to still continue to produce cards the way we know them, um, the quality, scarcity, distribution of them is a big thing. And you made a great point when we talked about this with the baseball cards. What this means for the local card shops, I think, is huge Mm. because, you know, as anyone that has been a collector or been someone in the hobby, I mean, sure, there's a lot of things that happen online, but... You know, it's important to have that local store that you can pop in and buy a box or buy some packs or bring a kid in and introduce them to the hobby that way. And I certainly hope that this doesn't um, impact them 
uh, too much in a negative way going forward. And that's something that we uh, that we will see. Uh, finishing it off, I did see a bunch of you jokers talking about CM Punk in the uh, in the chat. Um, he did make his debut last night, cutting a promo on AEW Wrestling. Uh, and of course, he's going in. I think there's a pay-per-view on the 5th of September and he's going to be fighting Darby Allen and everyone will be excited to see him with his first legit match in what, seven or eight years. Uh, but to me, Ramus, the coolest thing was just how much of a king Giannis Antetokounmpo is in Milwaukee. Uh, the event was in Milwaukee and I guess during a commercial break, they brought Giannis out with uh, his own AEW belt. Uh, I believe he was out with his brother, who was also a member of the NBA World Champion, Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, it was just awesome to see. I love Giannis. I think he is one of those guys that's so easy to cheer for. Um, the way he came to Milwaukee, one of the smallest markets, it reminds me a lot of Winnipeg. And he has wrapped his arms around that community and become one of them. Uh, brought them a championship. And uh, this is... This is what you get when you win a championship. You get the stunt in a wrestling ring, holding a belt, just breathing in the adoration of 10, 12, 15,000 people. I uh, got up on the ropes, as you can see, a couple times, which is cool to see. Um, but overall, just uh, Giannis is the man. And, man, to win a championship the way he did um, is... You know, something that'll be lasting, his legacy will last in Milwaukee forever, um, especially if he stays there for a long time. But right now in Milwaukee, it is absolutely the summer of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm getting some major uh, Monday Night War vibes here of uh, Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman actually <laughs> wrestling. So, like, are we going to see Giannis versus, like, I'm trying to think, like, who he would go up in. But he didn't. He didn't really get on the mic or anything. He kind of just went, as you see in the video, he went and uh, just you know gave a big salute, had the belt. I think that's pretty awesome. But I mean, the ratings for this AEW now that they got CM Punk, I think people. I think it's getting people's attention. You see Giannis there. This is all over social media. I don't. Know, I think. I think that they're on. I think that they're on to something. Uh, oh, yeah, they absolutely are. Tony Khan has been brilliant in the way that he's built this up, along with some guys that know quite a bit about wrestling, including all the Winnipeg dudes. Kenny Omega's the champ. Chris Jericho is one of the biggest stars in it. And my guy, Don Callis, you may remember him as the natural or the jackal, um, one of the great heel managers and characters in the entire industry. And um, they're all right at the top of the list. I'm really hoping that at some point before Jericho hangs it up, we can get Omega and Jericho going at it at the downtown arena. Uh, they could fill that place. Winnipeg is a great wrestling town and really haven't had the opportunity to see either of those guys, you know, despite their huge status worldwide. So I would love to see that. I hope it can happen at some point in the next year or so. Um, as Chris Jericho, still an incredible star, you know, getting towards the end, I'm sure, of his in-ring part of his career uh, at over 50 years old. Uh, been a great show, Remo. What, uh, what's watching? What are you watching tonight now that we have no CFL? Women, women's hockey. Come on, women's hockey. Uh, that's that's what I'm doing. I think it starts at 6 or 6.30 tonight, so you'll definitely want to watch that. Mm. Uh, I'm going to be able to watch the Blue Jays right now, although it's not going well. White Sox up 6-1 in the fourth inning as uh, they're out talking to Ryu, might be the end of his day. I uh, do want to mention, folks, we've got three spots left in the DraftKings CFL contest, so make sure to get that. You can hit us up for an invite or just simply go to the Winnipeg Sports Talk League, check open contest, three spots left. 
good luck to everyone on that. And I know we didn't talk a lot of Bombers today. Part of the reason for that is that the Bombers held a closed practice to the media today. Uh, but we'll have tons of Bomber talk tomorrow heading into Sunday's game with the Calgary Stampeders coming to town. Ed Tate will join us uh, later on in tomorrow's program with a full recap of practice. Let us know who's out there, how things are looking for Sunday's 6 p.m. game out at IG Field. Uh, the Ticats, for their part, did name Dane Evans as starting quarterback for Week 4. Jeremiah Masoli's dealing with sore ribs, but I think this will be a big opportunity for Dane Evans to go in and try and right the ship of the Ticats, who lost three games in an 18-game season in 2019 and are staring 0-3 in a 14-game season in the face if they can't beat Montreal in their home opener coming up this weekend. That game now kicks off CFL Week 4 tomorrow at 6.30 on TSN. All right, thanks to Hot Rod Peterson for joining us. Always love having him on the program. And Mike McIntyre for a great bunch of Jets talk. If you're popping in later on, go check the YouTube replay. And for everyone watching or listening on the podcast, we appreciate you joining us each and every day as we do our wonderful family of sponsors, Canadian Club. Don't forget tomorrow, another Canadian Club I Love Rye prize pack heading into a bomber home game. Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Paramount Services Limited, Little Brown Jug, Boston Pizza, Not Autocorp, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Bend Country Club, and Cool Bet Canada. Uh, we will have a giveaway tomorrow. Oh, and by the way, I will try to get some more hats to Royal Sports. Um, but once we get the uh, remaining kind of half dozen of each there, they will be gone if you haven't already. Um, even right now, you can check out the store um, and make sure you get in. We've got the stock from that right now until they're gone. So uh, it won't be long. I'm not sure these suckers are going to last through the weekend. So if you're looking for one of these mm -hmm. lids, go to the store or Royal Sports a little bit later on today after we get them the final six of each brand uh, because the dad hats are sold out. They've got two of the snapbacks left, um, but we'll get there a little bit later on. So thanks to everyone, by the way. Way that's purchased and people from outside of Winnipeg that have not only picked up hats but some of the other merchandise available at our store at winnipegsportstock.com. All right, for Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Have yourself a great night. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. We'll talk a little more offseason hockey, latest on the Blue Jays, and we'll be all over the Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders heading into Sunday night CFL week four finale, 6 p.m. at IG Field. Have a great night, everyone. Oh my oh, god! Oh! Shut it down! Oh, Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.